Good morning, everybody. It's another edition of the Bat Around. We're coming to you live this Saturday, November 20th, 2021, from our studios here down in Baltimore. It is a beautiful but cold Saturday morning here on the Bat Around. Just want to remind you the Bat Around is brought to you by the Tyus Bowser Show, which is headed your way this season. You can join the Baltimore linebacker and his special guest teammates at various locations around town with your chance to get pictures and autographs and hear everything that needs to be said before and after games. If you can't make it out, you can watch the shows live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen to them the next day. The Tyus Bowser Show is brought to you by Great Eights Memorabilia and Pressbox, as well as Window Depot, windowdepotbaltimore.com. And Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, that's Duffy'sGarageMD.com. The NFL Chicks Rita Hubbard joins the show courtesy of my bookie. Find out more about the Tyus Bowser Show at PressBoxOnline.com slash Bowser or at GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. Great showing uh, this past Tuesday. Chuck Clark was in the building with mm. Tyus Bowser. Apparently, can you mute the um, the other the computer? Okay, yes. Um, apparently, Chuck Clark was... Um, in the building with Tyus Bowser for the show. Serena Hubbard's joined the show. She's going to be on it every uh, installment. Now, the next one is this Tuesday night, November 23rd. It's at Alonzo's on Cold Spring Lane. Oh. Yeah, we're, we're completely muted. I'm not yeah. sure what that background noise is. It, there's um, I hear it every day on Glenn's show, too. Can you turn me up a little bit, then? No problem. Sorry for the technical difficulties there, folks. We're kind of uh, more. Okay. A little bit We're, more. Yep. Oh, there we go. There All we right. Go. That's that was great radio. Let me just tell you, that's that was excellent radio. We just had there. My apologies. Oh, we got a little bit of like a a thing going on in the background. We we can hear this sometimes where it's like we can hear people talking, but we we have no idea what it is. So no, we'll, uh, just, we'll just we'll just we'll, the other day Adele was singing in the background. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was, nice. it was it was Adele. No, I don't think they can hear it. Only you and I can. I hear think it. So, I think you're right. So no, no big deal. So the Orioles they they were active yesterday because they had to be. Mm-hmm. It's the one time that they're forced to be active here. Uh, Dia Hall. Taryn Vavra, Kyle Bradish, Kevin Smith, Logan Gillespie, Felix, and Felix Batista added to the 40-man roster. Some some players ominous in their um, be, being left unprotected. Yeah. Robert Newstrom, uh, Adam Hall, Ofelki Peralta, Caden Grenier, Patrick Dorian. Um, most of these guys aren't going to be taken. They're just not going to be. Um, I agree. Robert Newstrom was a bit of a head scratcher to me. However, uh, somebody ma- I can't remember I can't remember if it was Steve Molesky or if it was Rich Dubrov, but somebody made the point it's really hard to keep an outfielder as a rule five pick on your roster the entire year. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. I mean I, I think the you know having a guy like that who yeah he's played at triple A and yeah he's been good at triple A, but obviously has no major league experience at this point. Um, it's it's a little bit tough to keep a guy, and that, and that goes really for any Rule 5 pick. I think, to me, it's the easiest to stash a utility infielder on your bench. It's actually not very difficult to do that because you can play them, you know, maybe once, twice a week, and, and they won't hurt the team that much if they have a great glove. Outfielder, you know, it, obviously I don't think your glove matters quite as much as it does for, you know, say a middle infielder, second baseman, shortstop. So I think that it's a little bit difficult to stash a guy like Robert Newstrom, but if the bat plays... He'll be a great stash for any team. I, I, it, it, you could end up seeing it be something li- along the lines of Mike Yastrzemski, where oh, uh, I hope not. Y- M- Mike Yastrzemski had he'd been okay in the minors, hadn't mm-hmm. been great. Then he gets he gets taken by the uh, not in the Rule Five. He was claimed off waivers. Was he claimed off waivers? No, he, he, he traded. He was a trade for Tyler yeah, Herb. Yeah, that's right. He was a trade for Tyler Herb to the Giants, and he comes out and 
hits 20-plus homers every year since. So you're hoping it's not that way. You hope that Newstrom isn't taken. And with everything kind of – with the upheaval of what's going on right now between the CBA expiring, the impending lockout, the winter meetings are more than likely going to be canceled. We did talk to John Mioli on the show last week, and he said that the Rule 5 is something they can really just do through email. So mm-hmm. I imagine that once things get put back into place, that the Rule 5 – it might even still happen mm-hmm. in a lockout. You, you never know. Um, we've kind of, this is uncharted water for a really long time. It's certainly, yeah. certainly in your lifetime. Um, so we really don't know what's going to happen there, but you hope that Robert Newstrom isn't claimed by, isn't taken by another team. Uh, Cody Sedlock, former first round pick hasn't really panned out. He's been okay in relief. He hasn't had a great minor league career. Um, he might get taken because he's a former first round pick and he was, he's been, he was a reliever last year and it's easier to stash a reliever. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that, though. Caden Grenier, uh, if you're upset about that because he was the 37th overall pick in the draft in 2018. He's not getting taken, I guys. Cannot, I cannot imagine this current regime taking a player like Caden Grenier that high. No, I, never. I, I just, that, the, uh, he, he screams fourth-round pick. Well, glove-first guys are, you know, they're, they're valuable, of course, but I, I think the game is is really moving towards bat-first guys these days. And I think you see that, um, you know, in the, in the top five, ten draft picks every year. You see that bat-first guys are what teams are really trying to look at. And Caden Grenier, who hit, you know, well in college, he was at Oregon State, I think he hit like 330 in the the year he got drafted, so he was a good hitter, but clearly not as advanced as a lot of guys coming out of that draft. He was a good hitter his senior year in college, wasn't a a great hitter. But before before that, that. right. But but honestly, we're we're stealing the thunder from Orioles banter, so we're going to, we're going to. Stop this. We're going to save that for Orioles banter. Um, but, yes, some surprising moves, some not surprising moves. I think Logan Gillespie was probably the most surprising. Nobody saw that coming. Yeah. Uh, Felix Bautista, I even said yesterday on Twitter that this was a guy that if it were me, I'd protect him because mm-hmm. that's, that's a solid arm. Throws over 100. Uh, he's a back-end reliever, and he was at AAA. He's a part of your, of your bullpen this year. But, again, we'll talk about that later in uh, Orioles banter. Bryce Harper, NL MVP. Shohei Otani was, MV- was unanimous MVP in the American League, I think that that was pretty much guaranteed from about June on, Yeah, right? Uh, he would have had to fall off a cliff on both sides of the baseball for that to not happen. Bryce Harper, there's been, there's been a bit of... A bit of shock and surprise there because he was a 5.9 winner, 5.9 war player. Uh-huh. Um, Soto, there were, were like eight guys ahead of him. I, I think he was ninth overall. In war in the National League, uh, Trey Turner had a higher war. Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, who missed 32 games, had a higher war. Uh-huh. Uh, Brian Reynolds from the Pirates, Paul Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill. Um, Bryce Harper had a really nice year. When they said in August that he was a leading candidate for National League MVP, I was like, I thought to myself, "What? Uh, why?" Well, I agree. I, uh, to me. And I've said this before on the show. I think Juan Soto was the best player in baseball this year. I think Juan Soto deserved MVP. Yeah. And and I think it's it's only slightly fair to say that the Nationals being bad is the reason that Soto can't win MVP because the Phillies didn't make the playoffs either. Yeah, they were close. They were in it to the last weekend of the year, but they didn't make the playoffs either. And Otani won is, in the in the in the American League, and they were under five hundred. Exactly. So to me, Juan Soto is the MVP. Seven point one WAR. 
That's, I mean, that's an incredible season. That's an MVP level season. And not to say Bryce Harper didn't lead, you know, the the National League and, and frankly the major leagues in many categories. He led in OPS, slugging percentage, bunch of different uh, different stats, and you know he, he hit over thirty home runs. The guy was amazing. He played a, had a great year. But Juan Soto, with the numbers he was able to put up, and especially that second half where he was on base almost like I believe it a five hundred clip or close to it, the guy was just really unstoppable and imagine how many less games the Nationals would have won or fewer games I should say the Nationals would have won without a guy like Juan Soto Juan Soto is a complete game changer yeah they would have been bad the worst though right that's 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 the thing I mean without Bryce Harper the Phillies aren't aren't over 500 right so now look if Bryce Harper I like Bryce Harper yeah and I think that for a guy who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 years old mm-hmm. to now be a two-time MVP, six-time All-Star, um, to uh, he's lived up to the hype. He has no largely doubt. lived up to the hype. He's, no doubt, he's earned every bit of that contract that he got in Philadelphia. Now the next step is you got to get your team to the playoffs, and and, right. and that's not all on him. You know, he he had an, an MVP caliber season this year. Clearly, he's the MVP, mm-hmm. and his team his team still didn't make the playoffs. Um, yeah, I mean, baseball's a team sport. You need yeah. more than one guy on the Phillies to be a you know a significant contributor in that lineup. And so far, they have a few guys. I'm not going to say that team is a bad team, but they need a lot more to get back to yeah, the playoffs they, they, and to win a World Series. They definitely need more. They definitely need more. Now, Bryce Harper, I don't think there's any argument if Bryce Harper was the difference between his team winning that division and not winning the division. So if they had won the division and without Bryce Harper, they would have lost, okay, then he's your clear cut, clear cut MVP. That wasn't the case. That well, I don't have a problem with he be, with him being MVP because I think he's one of the best players in the game. But I see where people are coming from when there are playoff teams that had players that were in the MVP race yeah. who had a higher WAR, had comparable and based on WAR better seasons, who didn't win. Uh, Austin Riley had a better year than Bryce Harper did as far as WAR is concerned, and he finished sixth. I think in MVP voting, he wasn't even top five. So, right, right. Uh, now again, Shohei Otani, unanimous MVP in Major League Baseball. We've talked about this before, and we've talked about it with Stan. Should there be a different award, right? Because Shohei Otani wasn't the best offensive player in baseball. No, he wasn't the best offensive. He he had a very good year. He was he was the best offensive player through baseball in the first half. Is what yeah. I would, what I would argue. But he hit two twenty nine in the second yeah. half. His, his pitching, he was great. Nobody else can do what he can do. Should he be the MVP every year, or is it just a, a one and done type of thing? Because we were so sh- in su- in such shock and awe right now because it just happened, and next year it won't matter as much. It, like it. These other guys are put at such a disadvantage because they only play offense. Right. I, I, it's a tough discussion to have. It's a tough narrative to, I guess, to balance because you do have a guy who's pitching and hitting at the same time, which we don't see. Nobody else does it. You know, nobody else brings the, that kind of value to their team like Shohei Otani does. So, is he the most valuable player? Yeah, he probably is the most valuable player for any team to have at the moment. I wouldn't say Otani is the best player in baseball because he's not the best hitter and he's not the best pitcher. But if you combine the two, he's probably the most valuable. And I would say that Otani that's was, was true. That's true. That's that's true. I would say Otani is the is very deserving of this award. Um, but you you make a great point about we could just say this every year. You know, if he puts up a say next year he goes out there and he hits uh, two forty, hits twenty five home runs, and pitches to a I don't know. 
a 370 ERA. 370 ERA. He probably wins MVP because, again, he's the most valuable player to the Angels. He's the most valuable player in the league. He brings more value. It's not that he was the best. It's that he brings more value. And that's where I think the MVP award can be a little bit confusing. It's not almost the best player. It's almost who brings the most value to their team. And that's why I think Bryce Harper won because he brought the most value to the Phillies over a guy like Juan Soto because the Nationals were bad. So I think value is almost more of a, of a factor here than, than being the best player overall. And then when you look at it, when you look at the Blue Jays and you look at the other two MVP finalists, Marcus Simeon and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., mm-hmm. You had two MVP candidates on the same team, and that's before you even start talking about Lourdes Gurriel, Bo Bichette, um, George Springer. Yeah. Like that, that team is so loaded. <laughs> and then you talk about yeah. you have the Cy Young Award winner in Robbie Ray. How the hell did they not make the playoffs? How the hell did they not make the playoffs? No idea. Two MVP candidates and then a lineup full of other all-stars and the Cy Young in your rotation and Hun Jin Ryu. In your, how yes. do you not make the playoffs? Well, Ryu really fell off at the end of the year. He was he was a real struggle at the end of the year. But I, I will say the Blue Jays were my AL East pick. I thought that team was really stacked. They didn't you know they didn't do it. They weren't able to pull it through. And I think that next year it's going to be a little bit different for them. I think that the it Blue was an experience. It, it, yeah, right. I, I think it's a young team, and I think next year they're going to be a lot better. They're a scary team in the AL East. I, I, you know, the Orioles are going to have to face the Blue Jays and this core, you know, talent that they have with with Bichette and Guerrero, and even even a guy like Robbie Ray, who's a seasoned veteran at this point, but he's still a really really good pitcher. And he kind of came out of nowhere. Nobody would have said Robbie Ray is your Cy Young pick at the beginning of the year. Nobody would have said that. Now look, five six years ago. He pitched. He had. He won 15 games with mm-hmm. the with the Diamondbacks yep. and pitched to a 2.89 ERA. It's not like this is unprecedented. No, for him, it, it's but, but it's surprising. been it's been so long since he was that kind of a pitcher. Right. He he did kind of his career got derailed, mm-hmm. and he got it back on track this year. Yeah. And look, Orioles fans don't like Robbie Wright. and I get it. He accused the Orioles of sign stealing because they were laying off his slider. They hit three home runs against him. Yeah, the, I understand. I understand why why fans don't like Robbie Ray, but you have to be able to put that aside and say, look, he legitimately led the American League in just about every category that matters for a starting pitcher. Yeah. He is more than deserving of the no doubt. Of, of the Cy Young Award. Now in the National League, I'm not sure that I would have picked Corbin Burns. I think Corbin Burns won the Cy Young in the first six weeks of the season when he didn't walk anybody for like seven stars. Similar to how Randy Orozarena won the the Rookie of the Year award yeah. in October last year. You you look at what Zach Wheeler did, led the National League in. Let me go back down here real quick. Uh, where are you? I, I think you have a, a valid point. Uh, Zach Wheeler was, he was led, arguably he, better. He led he led the National League in complete games, shutouts, innings pitched, and Ks. Yeah, uh, 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 Corbin Burns led an ERA. That's it, and outdueled him in WAR by uh, seven point seven to five point seven. So yeah, that's two WAR. That's he, two WAR. The from every pitcher that I looked at, Zach Wheeler had the highest WAR in baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, I mean, it was it was higher than Juan Soto's. His his WAR was seven point seven. I thought Zach Wheeler should have won the Cy Young. I also said that I thought it was going to be Max Scherzer because yeah, Max Scherzer had arguably the worst numbers of all these guys, uh, of all these guys in the race. However. What he did when he got to the Dodgers for 12 starts, yeah, it, he was the best pitcher in baseball. I believe a 1.94 ERA, and yeah. then obviously he was he was pretty good in the playoffs. Not maybe the 1.94 ERA, but he his he was really good in the wild card game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he got dead arm halfway through the playoffs, yeah. and it, it, that honestly it cost his team. But these yeah. these votes 
were in before the playoffs started. Right. They, and, they and vote it's, before it's, the end of the season. And it's a regular season award, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you look at it, really every MVP award that's been given out. It's 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 the regular season. Obviously, these you know, like you said, these these votes are tallied before then. So, look, I, I think Zach Wheeler. I would agree with you. I think he was a little bit of a better pitcher than Burns. But Burns was unbelievable in April, May, June. Those first few months, he was really, really. He good. was really good all year. He led the National yeah. League in, in earned run average. Yep. He's. I'm not saying he's not deserving. No, I I agree with what you're saying. But but Zach Wheeler was the better pitcher. Mm-hmm. He was a better pitcher this year. I agree. And. and if Bryce Harper can win MVP on the Phillies, then Zach Wheeler can win Cy Young. Now, perfect now, point. I, I I understand the argument, and they aren't thinking about this when they vote. But I can understand the argument. You can't have both the MVP and the Cy Young on a team that didn't make the playoffs. And you look at you look at the fact that um, Corbin Burns, his team made the playoffs, and he was the best pitcher on a really good staff. Yeah, and they made the playoffs. Max Scherzer, his team made the playoffs. Zach Wheeler should have been the Cy Young this year, in my opinion. And but all three guys were deserving. Uh, look, some some activity already happening in free agency. Uh, the first couple of weeks, Tiger said signed Eduardo Rodriguez, five years, seventy seven million dollars. They're also rumored to be the favorites for Carlos Correa. We were talking about maybe the Orioles going out and getting Eduardo Rodriguez this offseason. Boy, was that a pipe dream. Yeah. Um, I just want to say this for Eduardo Rodriguez. Great job. Your agent did a very, very good job. Yeah. Five years, $77 million for Eduardo Rodriguez yeah. is an overpay, a huge overpay. I'll tell you, all he does is win. He, yeah. All he does is win. There's a song about that. Um, <laughs> but he, he did win 19 games in 2019. I'll give him that. The guy is a good pitcher. I don't think he's worth $77 million. I mean... Maybe not, but what's what's he getting? Just over fifteen million a year. He's getting yeah. ju- he's getting just over fifteen million a year to go win fifteen games and pitch to a three seven three eight ERA. Do you think that, that's realistic though? I don't yeah, know. I don't yeah, know. I mean, he's had one year where he didn't do that. Yeah, he, his ERAs were sub four for Boston until this year. And you have to remember, he's coming off myocarditis. Yes, it's obviously a different year, and it's a different year for a lot of guys getting back into the swing of things. Right. Um, uh, I th- I think they're paying him for what he's. For what he's going to do moving forward, and I, I, I don't think it's a bad signing. I think if you can get a pitcher, a left-handed starter like Eduardo Rodriguez, that's going to go out there and battle and grind and and keep you in games and help you. That's why he wins. It's he battles and grinds. He may give up five runs, but yeah. he's going to give you seven innings, giving up those five runs, and he's going to let your offense have a chance to come back. Sure, and, and a six-war player in 2019. He's yeah. he's he's a good pitcher. I just we, for we, me, I was a little bit surprised at this at this price. We got we got to move on because we got to get Stan here in a second. Angel signed Noah Syndergaard one year, 21 million. That was um, he he's a good pitcher. And if he gets back to being Thor. That's a really good signing for the Angels. Blue Jays extend Jose, Jose Barrios seven years, one hundred thirty-one million dollars. Um, another another good pitcher who's yeah. probably being underpaid to be perf- to be perfectly honest with you. But he hasn't opt out after the fifth year, and then he can go out and get Buku bucks if he wants to. Um, look, I want to address a little bit of the ire with Orioles fans here because some fans are are upset that the Tigers are going out and spending money. They're upset that because they say the Tigers aren't any different than the Orioles. Why can't the Orioles do it, guys? But, but they guys, are. Guys, but but they are. They are. All right. Drastically. The, 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 the Tigers won twenty five more games than the Orioles this right. past year. Think about that for one second. The Tigers were under five hundred. They were seventy seven and eighty five, and they won twenty five more games yeah. than the Orioles. All right. They have a season manager. 
mm-hmm. in A.J. Hinch. They have a young rotation that's only going to get better. They have some stars in their lineup who are only going to get better. Le- and they also have some veterans like a Jonathan Scope who they just signed to a two-year extension. Yep. If they go out and if they get if they only get Eduardo Rodriguez and Carlos Correa, they're not going to the playoffs this year. Uh, they, they need more. They absolutely need more. But that team is way closer than the Orioles are. If the Orioles won seventy-seven games in twenty twenty-one, we're probably having a different conversation about them this offseason. I think a vastly different conversation. But they didn't, and and, and I get it. The Tigers played in the AL Central, which is a far weaker division than the AL East. Yes. Not 25 games worse. I I do want to say something about what John Heyman said last night. He said, Tigers do love Carlos Correa, but I've heard from Tigers people who insist they will not spend $300 million on any one player due to multiple needs. Like you said, if you do throw all your eggs in one basket with a guy like Correa, you're really not upgrading in any other position. And obviously, they did already uh, upgrade with Eduardo Rodriguez, starting pitcher. But there's a lot more work to be done there. But I agree with you completely. This, to me... These are two completely different situations. Yes, they're both rebuilds, but the Tigers have expedited theirs far above where the Orioles are right now. They're they're in two completely different situations. And to even think that the Orioles would be, you know, a player for anybody that the Tigers are going out for and, and trying to sign, if the Orioles had signed, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez to five years seventy seven million, that would not have been really a smart move for the Orioles right now at that at that price point. So the Orioles need to figure out who they are as a as a team with the farm system that they've got and the homegrown guys that they've got before they're spending that kind of money. 2022 needs to be like the Tigers 2021. Exactly. For, for the exactly. Orioles. So you, you have some yeah, go ahead and give Stan a call. You have you have some some of your top prospects that are going to be making their way to the major leagues this year, uh, including your the top overall prospect in Adley Rutschman and the top pitching prospect in Grayson Rodriguez. This is the year where you evaluate and see what you need to add to this team to make them competitive beyond 2022. After a 52-win season, you're not going out and spending $300 million on Carlos Correa. The people that thought that was ever going to happen, what were you thinking? Like, what were you thinking? I also, I've seen some things in the Orioles' Twitter, Twitter sphere that I that I want to address because it just doesn't seem realistic to me. I've, I've seen fans saying they don't want an early to mid-30s defensive-minded shortstop. They would rather see what we have in-house. Arias is your second baseman. Kelvin Gutierrez has the inside track to be your third baseman. So really what you're saying is you want to see either Richie Martin or Jorge Mateo at shortstop. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have somebody with the experience who I, knew, who I know is going to catch the ball. Now you throw Lucius Fox into that mix. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just... you. Your future at shortstop is potentially Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, yeah. and, and if you draft him this year, Brooks Lee. If you draft him, that, that's, right. that's a ways off and big something if. could happen. That's a big if. But you have other better options than what you have currently in-house. You do need a Jose Iglesias, an Andros and Simmons, yeah. a Freddie Galvis. Um, and, and lastly, before we before we talk to Santa, I don't want to keep holding too long. I, I've been seeing people say Tyler Nevin should be on the Major League roster in 2022 because he hit a 443-foot home run at the end of the season. That's one uh, swing, guys. He, one he, swing. He, he played three games right. at the Major League level. He hit 227 mm-hmm. in the minor leagues. 227 with a 318 on base percentage. He needs the gap between the AAA and the majors is so big. Huge. He needs to prove that he can hit at the at the triple at the AAA level before he gets called up to the major league level. With that in mind, let's get Stan on the line here. Stan, Stan, how you doing this morning? 
I'm doing fine. I'm just really curious about something you said. Who who is saying that he belongs on the major league roster? There's there, there's people in the in the Orioles Twitter spheres. It's not anybody that that okay. covers the team professionally, but it's a lot of podcasters, okay. a lot of a lot of fans saying they want to see Tyler Nevin, and I just don't understand where that's coming from. The guy hit one big home run. He doubled on his on his major league debut, which was his birthday. But other than right. that, he hasn't done anything to prove that he deserves to be there. No, I totally agree. He's got to got to put up numbers, and the age you know the age he's at works works against him too. But if he goes down and hits two eighty and hits a bunch of bombs, then maybe he's you know and, and has an on base of three thirty five, three forty. Then you might be talking about somebody who could could be a piece. But right now, not so much. Yeah, I, I did comment on, on Nevin a few weeks ago when we were talking about Mancini. I said, look, is Mancini really worth $8 million for .9 war, which is what he put up this year? And I said, I, I find it hard to believe that over 162 games, Tyler Nevin playing every day couldn't put up .9 war. That was my, my one comment on Tyler Nevin. And I still find that to be a possibility, that Tyler Nevin could put up .9 war in a, in a full season. But I also, I'm on the, I'm on the same, uh, thought, I guess, thought process as you guys, where I don't really see where he's where he's really fit in and 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 Stan I do want to ask you about the comment that Paul just made about the Orioles not really having an in-house shortstop option what do you think the people who you know really want to see an in-house option be the starter at you know shortstop in 2022 who are they talking about who's that guy that could uh, potentially I guess put himself ahead of the rest I mean, I get, who did I didn't hear what Paul said. Who do who do you see Paul at second base right now? I think I think Ramon Arias has, it's to, be, has be. to be your second yeah, base. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. I think Arias plays second and slides over to play short on some days, you know. But again, his his um, his ability to be out there every day is questionable. You know, I mean, I think if you got 120 games. At a Urias total of second and short, you, you'd be very, very happy to get that many days out of him. And then at this point in time, I'm guessing, I'm getting, guessing Martin or, I mean, if we're talking only in-house, it's got to be like Martin and Mateo, you know. And again, I think Mateo's a much better, like being a rook on your chessboard, you know, a guy who can play a a bunch of different things rather than counting on him to play a hundred games at any one position or anything like that. Yeah. I, I, to me, I look at the Orioles and when I look at the future of shortstop for them, I see guys like Jordan Westberg. I see a guy like uh, Gunnar Henderson, maybe even a, a Daryl Hernandez. I don't see Jorge Mateo or Richie Martin. I think Richie Martin's had enough of an opportunity that we pretty much know what he is. Yeah. He, he's he's yeah. at best a, a he utility. Was, he guy. was even he was even very disappointing as a as a shortstop. I mean, you know, the one thing we thought about him, you know, we hadn't seen him in a long time was well, he's going to be solid defensively. He made so many muffs; it was terrible. I mean, it was terrible to watch. Yeah. He was yep. good. He was good for a flashy play every now and again. I think that, that yep. people get that's, fooled that's by that. It. I think yep. people and get fooled much, by that. Not much offense at all. Now, yeah. Stan, the Orioles I mean, had you've, to. And you've, you've sort of, you've kind of maxed out. The guy was a Rule Five guy, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's proven to be less valuable than than Ryan Flaherty was, you know. Oh, absolutely. And I think people. 
uh, see that somebody was a former first-round pick, and th- that that's just they see stars in their eyes. Because like, oh, there's a reason he was a first-round pick. A lot of these first-round picks don't pan out. More more often than not, they don't pan out. Right. I think that's the case with Richie Martin. Yep. 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 Uh, now, Stan, we're agreed. Yep. The Orioles had to add a number of guys to uh, their 40-man roster last night before the 6 p.m. deadline. Uh, if they want to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. Some of the guys were obvious. D.L. Hall, Taron Vavra, Kyle Bradish, and Kevin Smith. Uh, Felix Bautista was added. He seemed obvious to me because he's a guy who pitched really well at AAA, throws tri- in the triple digits, had a high walk rate. But that's a guy, if you can get his control a little bit under control, uh, I think he's a valuable piece to the ar- to the bullpen. Logan Agreed. Gillespie, Logan Gillespie was the guy that everybody did not see coming. Um, what were your thoughts on the, on Logan Gillespie of all people being added to the roster? What were the Orioles seeing with him? I I really don't know. I mean, I looked up his numbers. I I really don't know enough to to, to comment on him. I've never seen him pitch. You know, his numbers are not overly impressive. You know, yeah. But I mean, I also look at a guy like I don't see what they see in Brooks Krisky. You know, yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you, I think that that's, that that's the point with Logan Gillespie being added to the roster is nobody's seen him pitch enough, except for the Orioles, so maybe that's what right. they're thinking. But uh, he, right. had a, he had a 9 ERA in the Arizona Fall League. He didn't pitch well at AAA this year. Uh, it's, it, I think the fact that we don't know who he is is kind of the, the telltale sign that why it's a head scratcher. So I, I want to throw this out there real quick. I think part of the reason could be that he is a generally close to major league ready pitcher and that they wanted to protect a guy who they figured might help him in the bullpen this year. That would be my thought process behind it. That would be my guess. So do you really feel that he's a guy that would be on other teams? I mean, you know, I'll sort of exceed to what, you know, to what you know. Do you think somebody really would take him as a Rule 5 guy? I think it's possible. Maybe a, you know, maybe a guy that could stash in the back of a bullpen and have pitch. You know, maybe once or twice a week and and just try to stash back there. I'm not really sure. That's just my guess that you know he is probably closer to major league ready, and that's probably what they thought about Bautista. And obviously, a guy like Nick Vespi's in the same boat. But it is a it is a questionable decision for me. And we're gonna get to that in Orioles banter. Obviously, Paul posed the thing in in the notes this week about Newstrom. You know, again, he's not a world beater, but mm-hmm. I would have probably kept Newstrom over Logan Gillespie or Brooks Grisky. Me too. And, and maybe even a Nick Vespi, who has pitched well in his career in the minor leagues um, out of the bullpen. He was an all-star in the Arizona Fall Again, Look, I think people make too big a deal out of what happens in the Arizona Fall League, um, yeah. but I don't think you can ignore it at the same time. There's been a lot of players who have had really good Arizona Fall Leagues who have come to be quality major league players. I just, at the end of the day, I think I would have protected Newstrom and Vespi before I would have protected Gillespie. But, you know, apparently that's just you, me, and everybody else that's not running the team. Yeah. Um, well, you know one thing. If rule, if the Rule 5 draft is held, uh, which is dubious at this point in time, we'll, we'll be right on the cusp of who, who they could lose, you know, because we were last year with Zach Pop, you know. Yeah, I, I they're, they're guys that if they if they lose them, I would not be surprised. Now, uh, Stan, we, and we talked about this a little bit um, on Glenn's show earlier this week when you sat in with us. There are a lot of fans who are upset about the fact that the Orioles aren't spending money and the Tigers are. And my argument is the Tigers are 25 wins better than the Orioles were this year. They're closer, and they, they have a season manager like an A.J. Hinch running their ball club. 
Um, and then there's the argument, well, yeah, but they played in a weaker division. It's not so much weaker that the, that the Tigers should be 25 games better. Uh, what's the difference in where the two clubs are? And, and explain to us why this is not the time for the Orioles to go out and spend that kind of money. Uh, simply, simply A, I mean, here's the A, is do they have it, okay? Yeah. Uh, there's a difference between not wanting to spend it and, and you sit back and you've got the bullets ready to go in your gun when you are ready. And so that has to be determined, and the ball club is not very forthcoming with what their financial situation is like. So we, we don't know whether when push comes to shove, and they might be ready. It it always seems like the Orioles are behind behind the eight ball in terms of when the prices change. I mean, when you start to look at how you're going to piece together a pitching staff when this club is ready positionally and offensively, and you look at Noah Syndergaard getting $21 million, you sort of cringe at where the Orioles are going to come up with the money for pitching. You know, yeah. I, I I don't know. Frankly, they have it right now. It's coming you know? such a uh, such a premium right now. It's it's going to be hard to even find those value guys that we've been talking about for months that right. could possibly right. be on the market. But, but Paul, to your point, the Tigers are much closer. Uh, they are in a, a less contentious division, which means that they can win. They can jump up if they would sign. If they would sign, in addition to Rodriguez, one more pitcher uh, of some note and then get a Correa or somebody like that, a story, um, you're talking about a team that can jump up and win that division. The Orioles are nowhere near being ready to, to jump up and win a division. So if even if you have the bullets, uh, now's not the time to really use your, you, you know, use all your bullets. You want to see what you have. And, and get a better grasp of what you have uh, positionally and offensively on your ball club before you spend those kind of dollars on pitching. Well, And Stan, to, to that point, and this wasn't in my notes, I'm just thinking of this off the cuff, you look at the division that the Orioles are in. The Tampa Bay Rays somehow are always there. The Yankees are always going to be able to spend to be there. The Blue Jays roster is so young and so talented that they're going to be there for a long time. And the Red Sox are the Red Sox. How can we, like, what can we realistically expect the Orioles? Can the Orioles jump, excuse me, leapfrog those teams and get to the top? How realistic is that, even with having the number one farm system in baseball, how realistic is it to expect the Orioles to get to the top of the mountain in this division? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm never – it's a daunting task. There's no question about it. But you, you can't – you know, Mike Elias is a professional, and he's not sitting there going how daunting this task is. If he was, if he was of that nature, he wouldn't have taken the job. He's a guy who believes – uh, greatly in his ability to get this done, uh, but you don't do it in in two or three years, and that's really where the Orioles are right now. And you throw in the lost season of development for people like D.L. Hall and Bradish, and you know some of the pitchers that might be closer uh, to to really being major league ready to help you. Um, it, it it is what it is right now. You know, there's definitely 
percolating talent at the lower levels, and we'll start to see that over the next two seasons. But this is a team that you can't realistically think is going to be anywhere near contention until 24, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that the best they can hope for this year, and I think that that's even a long shot, is to potentially mirror what the Tigers did in, in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I that's a stretch. I don't, I don't see us having anywhere near the capabilities of what the Tigers pulled off last year. Right. I think that that's a dream scenario. If your team goes out and wins 77 games this year, then then you can really start to look forward. But I think it's been another long year. I'm thinking by 24, you might be able to win 80 games. You know, that's what I'm saying. But once you've Mm -hmm. got back to to being an 80-game team, you know, you're, you're capable of anything could happen over... 10 more games, you know, and you suddenly could be a 90-win team. Oh, absolutely. But right now, right, right now um, you know, they're looking at being a, a 65-win team next year. Which know? would be such a vast improvement. That's an improvement of 13 games, and it's a non-100-game yep. losing yep. season, which would be nice yep. to see for the first time since 2017. Yep. Um, yep. Some awards were given out this past week, Stan. Shohei Otani is your American League MVP. Bryce Harper is your National League MVP. Corbin Burns is the NL Cy Young Award winner, and Robbie Ray is the AL Cy Young Award winner. Let's start with Shohei Otani. <clears throat> Excuse me. This was a guy who was deserving. Zach made a great point in the opening of the show where he is legitimately the most valuable player in all of baseball because of what he gives you offensively and then what he gives you on the mound. However, is it fair because everybody else compared to him is a one-trick pony? He's the only and, – and with if he's the only guy that can do what he does, how does he not win it every year? Well, it gets back to me. Uh, you know, I know we're talking apples and oranges. To me, I, growing up, the most valuable player to me – was the guy who was most important to making you a winning team. Now, that's not necessarily the definition of it, but the definition of it is is also not what Otani did. So I, I have a problem with the award in and of itself. I think there should be a best player of the year in each league and a most valuable player. And the most valuable player to me would have had to been Vladimir Guerrero. Exactly. That's not, it, that's not saying he's more valuable, but if you finish 26, 27 games out of first place, how valuable was that guy to, to the way I define it? You know, but but look, they've done the award the way they have, but I, I think you need two separate awards, the league's best player of the year and the most valuable meaning the most valuable to being a winning team or to being at least a competitive team, which the Angels were not. You're right, Stan. It really is two different things. The best player is not always the most valuable to their own team, and I think that's where it – I guess there's kind of a line drawn between the two things, and there kind of should be two awards because the best player to me in the National League was Juan Soto, but the most valuable player to their team is Bryce Harper. So it's it almost right. should be two different awards. Yeah, I've, I've always felt that, you know, I mean, it was a kick when I was a kid, when you'd look at Ernie Banks won back-to-back MVPs on a last-place Chicago Cub team in 19, I think it was 57 and 58, uh, and Cal Ripken won the MVP on a horrid Oriole team, you know, that incredible season he had from start to finish. I can't remember 91. what year it was. 
91. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, okay. 91. Um, but, but, you know, and, and so there are a couple outliers there. But this year, I mean, there's no question that Shohei Otani was the most valuable player on his team. But what did that do? What did that mean for the team? And it's not enough to me to say, well, what would they have been without him? Because what's really the difference between a team finishing 25, 26 games out of first and 41 games out of first? Yeah, last place is, is last really, place. Is that really what we're defining as being most valuable in the league? Is that he kept you from finishing 40 games out of first? So, you know, there's no, no question on a war definition that Otani was the best player in all of baseball. There's no question about that. But, but, again, uh, I look at most valuable, and to me, Guerrero was the most valuable player. Well, and now, then, what might have worked against him a little bit was the incredible years that Semyon and, um, and uh, Bo Bichette had. Uh, you know, I could see voters saying, well, you know, they were what they were, but they had a couple other key players too yeah no and Stan, Stan you're absolutely correct that's actually what I was going to say to you because I, I said it to Zach earlier maybe things that work against these players are the fact that two of the three finalists for the AL MVP were teammates in Marcus Simeon and yep. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. they had the Cy Young Award winner and Robbie Ray on their team plus Hyunjin Ryu and Jose Barrios that they got at the deadline then you look at Lourdes Gurriel and Bo Bichette and you look at that team, and, and <clears throat> what's Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Critchick, that team, and George Springer, that team is absolutely loaded, and they still didn't make the playoffs. How can you give the MVP to a team that's that loaded that has two MVP finalists, and yeah. they still don't make the playoffs? Uh, so I get yeah, – I, I mean, that, that does factor <clears throat> in to how I define most valuable, but I still think that Guerrero was kind of the heart and soul of that team, you know. Boy, they are – but they are – a team that really is loaded. There's no question oh, about abs- it. I think they're going to be scary for a long time in the American League East. Yep. Now, yep. in the National League, Bryce Harper won, and a lot of people were up in arms because he had a 5.9 war. It was less than eight other guys, including MVP finalists Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis. It seems to me that Bryce Harper won this award stand based on what you and I are talking about, based on the fact that without him – the Phillies aren't even a 500 ball club. He was the, uh, like, totally, totally, totally agree. And look, look what the, the Nationals were with Soto. Again, to me, Soto's the best player in the league. Yeah, but clearly wasn't the most valuable. Uh, Harper kept his team, albeit in a poor division. He kept his team in, in you know, relevant until the last ten days of the season. No, absolutely. Now, you can make the argument for, say, an Austin Riley who came out of nowhere and had a monster year. I've never seen that guy hit better than 230, and he hit 303 this year. He had a 6.1 war, and his team won the World Series. Now, they vote before the season ends, but they were division champions. I'm surprised he wasn't higher. Brandon Crawford on a 107-win Giants team. Um, those are guys that, I could, that I, you could make the argument for. The other guys, while they may have had better years than Bryce Harper, they either A, didn't even have their teams above 500, or B, they were loaded. They were surrounded by so much other talent that how could you vote for them because their team was just loaded in general. So yep. uh, now in, going to the Cy Young, Corbin Burns, NL Cy Young Award, Robbie Ray, AL Cy Young Award. Do you have any issues with that? What are your thoughts on those guys winning those awards? Uh, oh. 
course, because I play fantasy baseball in, a, in an American League only, I had Robbie Ray. It's staggering to me the way he pitched this year that he didn't win like 23 to 25 games. Yeah. He is absolutely fabulous this year. Um, and I thought he was, to me, the runaway winner of the award. Uh, and Corbin Burns, it's, you know, there's a couple other pitchers in the league. Uh, and of course, um, you know, Max Scherzer is always going to get uh, recognition. And you're right, what he did in Los Angeles during the regular season was really pretty tremendous, you know. And to me, I'd be shocked if the Dodgers don't go all out to have him back, you know. Yeah, I think they're going to give him a, a, a monster, what, like what you saw for uh, Trevor Bauer. Cause he's up there in eight, so I think he's going to get a shorter deal, but a ton of money over a few years to stay with the Dodgers. Uh, I, think he'll get, I think he'll get $70, $75 million for two years. Yeah, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's even more than that, Stan. If they were giving yeah. Bauer $40 million a year, I wouldn't be surprised if Scherzer gets that too. Um, right. Now, with Corbin Burns... Stan, I would argue that Corbin Burns won the NL Cy Young in April and May because of what he did starting the year, not walking anybody for what seemed like two months. Um, now, look, he, he led the National League in ERA. The Brewers had a really fantastic starting rotation, and he was the best of the bunch in that rotation. They got to the playoffs. I'm not saying he's not deserving. Zach Wheeler led the league in complete games, shutouts, innings pitched, and Ks. And, oh, by the way, had a sub-3 ERA. Do you think he was a bit of a snub here? No, not really. I think I think Burns was I think Burns was more consistent from start to finish. You know, Wheeler, while his his total body of work was was very good, I thought that he had enough inconsistencies that now had Corbin Burns not been around this year, there would be no problem with him being a, a Cy Young Award winner. But I I thought that it went to the right guy. Yeah. No. You. All, all three finalists had a legitimate argument to be Cy Young. You can't really have an issue with any of them having won it because they're all some of the best pitchers in baseball. So I agree with you there, Stan. Stan, yeah. what, do you, what yeah. do you have coming up this week? Uh, looks like we've got uh, veteran backup catcher of the Baltimore Orioles, Jeff Tackett, is going to be on with us uh, on Monday night. Ross okay. and I are firming that up. Uh, he wore number 41. Anxious to talk to him. He was a starting catcher. The day in, uh, I think it was 90, 91 or 92, um, that the big brawl um, against the Seattle Mariners when Mike Mussina was pitching. And Chris Basio had thrown at two or three Oriole hitters in a very dirty way. He wasn't head hunting, he was ankle hunting. I was uh, watching that game, and I know Rick Sutcliffe went to Messina and said, you got to put somebody down. And he hit uh, catcher Bill Hasselman uh, and Hasselman like high on the shoulder, I think. Uh, and Hasselman charged the mound. Tackett wasn't very quick at, at getting out there. And I'm anxious to talk to him about his remembrances of that, you know. Yeah, I remember. I believe that was in May of 1993, and that was a game where Cal twisted his knee, being at the bottom of the pile, yep. and almost at missed the, the next game. The, at the bottom of the mosh pit. Yeah, yeah, no absolutely. No Stan, always great no, to talk no to you. Show, no show, no show Wednesday night because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Absolutely. And we don't have a show next Saturday because of Thanksgiving. So we'll we'll talk to you in two weeks, guys. You can follow him at Stan the Fan on Twitter. Stan, always great talking with you. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Always great. Have a great holiday, guys. Happy Both Thanksgiving you. to you. Thank Family. you so much. You too.
Bye-bye. And that was Stan the Fan Charles joining us for his weekly segment. Just want to remind you, Stan has two great shows for you every week. Uh, every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This past week, they chatted with um, Stan chatted with Orioles historian Bill Stetka, while Stan and Gary did a special sports business show with longtime executive Andy Dolich and the professor Marty Conway. Guys, you can find these shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com slash video. Like Stan just said, coming up this Monday, he and uh, Ross Grimms are going to talk with Jeff Tackett. I'm actually I'm very interested to hear mm-hmm. about his role, um, in about what happened with that brawl, exactly like the behind-the-scenes thing. I remember as I was a kid, and I was sitting at my Uncle Mike's house. They were having some kind of uh, family get-together, like a barbecue or something like that, and I saw, I saw it happen, and I was like, Oh my God, this is insane! And I was like, right. I, I think I was eight years old when that happened. I remember sitting there on the carpet, sitting in the. I'm, I'm sorry, sitting cross-legged. Um, oh my gosh, I, I haven't said that term in so long that I forgot you're not allowed to say it. I don't know what you were trying to say. Anyway, we'll move on. I'll tell you during the break. Sit, <laughs> sit, sitting cross-legged on, okay. on the ground, uh, watching the game and be and just seeing it happen and being like, oh my God. Yeah. So hey guys, look. Um, I'm going to throw a little wrench in our plans here because we got off the stand a little bit earlier than we normally do. So we're going to jump right into Sounding Off with Zach Goodman. Uh, Sounding Off is brought to you by your local, Toyota, your local Toyota dealers. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. All right, I'm going to talk about something I was actually going to talk about last week. We didn't get to it, but it was a little more, I guess, timely for last week than it was this week. But Major League Baseball has proposed using Fangraph's war to determine how much a player should be paid in arbitration. A lot of people went out immediately and said, I hate this idea. It's one stat. It's not, you know, it's just not a good representation. But I actually think the opposite. I think there's a lot of value in what we can learn from war. I think war is an all-encompassing stat that really tells the story about a player. If you're if you're talking about one player, uh, you know, specifically, let's go with a hitter. And someone asks me, they say, what's the one stat you would use to tell me everything about a player in, you know, in a second? I would say war. War is the ultimate stat. It's all-encompassing to me. That's my opinion. I think war is a good representation of what a player's value is to their team and how much player uh, how much a player performs on the field. That's my opinion. I think, you know, this is going to give us a clearer, more, I guess, structured idea of how teams are paying players in arbitration. Right now, we really don't know much about behind the scenes of what goes on in these arbitration hearings and how these players negotiate their salaries. I think this would give fans a greater idea of how much a player is worth, how much each guy is valued. If you say, okay, you know, a, a uh, 280 batting average equates to, um, you know, or, or you use a different stat like that, it's just a little bit. I guess bleaker than war is. You can just say war. You got a you know you got a five war. We're gonna pay you five million in arbitration this year. Something like that. It's just so easy. You can line it up with a value. You can line up each war with a value, and it just lets people understand how a player is valued, and we'll, we'll understand the arbitration process a lot more clear as fans. Um, so for me, you know, there's gonna be some shortcomings in this, of course, and I think there will be some things they'll have to work out in the beginning. But I think as opposed to the stats they already use, such as batting average and, and you know all the other kind of uh, re- not-so-important stats like RBI and all the different things, I think war is so much more all-encompassing than all of those stats put together. So I think war makes a lot of sense here. First of all, 
Uh-oh. I hate when people say the RBIs are not an important stat. Uh, they're a team stat, though, in my opinion. Are they? Yeah. Are, I mean, are, are they? Because, because you could come up with runners on second and third and ground out to the pitcher. And then I can come up with runners on second and third right mm-hmm. behind you and hit a ball into the gap and drive in those two guys. If you, if you bat third in the order and, and you have you bat 270 and you have 73 RBIs, mm-hmm. and then I bat fourth in the order and I hit 320 and I have 115 RBIs. Okay, if, first off, if you're batting 270, you're not batting third, okay? Uh, uh, but uh, RBIs, how do you win games? How do you win games? Well, you got to score runs. You got to score runs. You got to score more than your opponent, right? <laughs> RBIs are extremely important. See, if you can't drive in runs, you can't be in the lineup. I I, I don't understand why people think that. I, I get that people have to get on base for you to drive them in. Yes, but you still have to drive them in. So here's it's my, still up to you to do that. Here's my point: Cedric Mullins was the best player on the Orioles this year. He was also not even close to the top in RBIs because he hits leadoff. So he's automatically in a disadvantage for being a leadoff hitter and not having guys on base in front of him in, in a lot of situations. To me, that's a big shortcoming of the stat. Okay, but nobody's looking at Cedric Mullins and saying, this is a big RBI guy. They're looking at Cedric Mullins and saying, this is a guy who can get on base and steal me 40 backs. No, but Cedric Mullins won't be able to go to arbitration, same as Trey Mancini, and say, hey, look at my RBIs. They're, yeah, but they're not, they're not going to evaluate him based on his RBIs because that's not what he's there to do. I mean, okay. yeah, fair. If, I, I just if, th- I if think Trey, this- if Trey Mancini is there to drive in runs, and they say, "Hey, man, you hit in the middle of our order all year, and you drove in seventy-one runs," mm-hmm. it's not he, great. He has no <laughs> argument. He has right. he has no argument. Right. If Cedric Mullins goes into arbitration, and they can't say, "Hey, man, you only drove in fifty-nine runs this year," because he hit two ninety, he hit thirty home runs, he stole thirty bases, and he did what leadoff hitters are supposed to do. Oh, by the way, he also hit thirty home runs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. Like, they're evaluated differently. So the guys who are in the middle of your order are evaluated for driving in runs. They're not important. They do something that other players can't do. Mm -hmm. Cedric Mullins can drive in runs, but you have to imagine that if he's batting third or fourth, his approach is probably a little bit different, and maybe he has less of a season because there's more pressure to do what he did this year than there was when they were expecting him to be the guy that he was in 2020 when he hit 279 with and led the league with nine bunt singles. To me, you can't just say RBIs aren't an important stat. They're a team stat. Yes, you do need your teammates to get on base, but it's still up to you to drive in the runs. That that argument will always <clears throat> excuse me drive me insane. It will always because you you need to score runs to win the game. It's one I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change my opinion on. Uh, not gonna change my stance. Uh, no, uh, people, I, d- I don't find them important, but that's just again my opinion, and that's that's how I feel. Yeah. And I believe that the terminology I was saying, cross-leg, for sitting that way, it's crisscross applesauce. Yeah, that works. That, that, yeah. That, that's, that's, the, that, that's the one. That's how you sit. Um, I figured out what you were going to say, though. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I figured I'm, it I'm out. I'm sure you did, because when I was a kid, you were allowed to say that. And I haven't said it in so long, that I, just by mm-hmm. habit. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. As for war, I mean, yeah, war is probably the one uh, sabermetric that I, that I like. Um, I, I like fielding independent pitching and, and the true outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can't argue for it. I can't argue against it. What I will say is that players aren't going to go for it. I agree. The, the, the players agree. aren't, aren't going to go for it because it's going to end it. Ultimately, it means less money for them. Well, because I, you can take a guy like Ryan Mountcastle, who hit 33 home runs this year and drove in 89, and you can say, oh, but you were a, a .9 war player where right around that, I think he was like a one-win player, right? Mountcastle, yeah, uh, a little bit, yeah, around there. Yeah, oh, he, he was like he was yeah. like a one-win player. 
So you're going to tell me that the guy who led all rookies in home runs and RBIs can't make more money because he wasn't because he was average defensively. Well, and the biggest issue really with it is that war is entirely subjective, and that Fangraphs is a very different view on war than Baseball Reference, mm-hmm. and you know. It, there's a big, I guess, a big gap between, you know, you know Juan Soto, I believe, and Fangraphs had only 5.9 war, well, yeah, where and, with Baseball Reference, he had 7.1. In, 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 in Baseball Reference, war and B-War, uh, yep. Bryce Harper was ninth in, in the, in the mm-hmm. National League. In F-War, he was second right. in the National so League. So there's a, there's a big subjective gap, and Fangraphs, to me, is a little more... I, I like the way they do things a little bit more. I, th- I think Fangraphs is very, very accurate in the way that they portray war, but I think also... Players aren't going to go for that because of the subjectivity of it, and that technically it's a made-up stat. Well, exactly, exactly, and basically what you're saying is that the the, the arbitrators they can say, oh well, we're going to use F war or mm-hmm. no, we're going to use B war. Well, no, if you use F war, I'm a better player. Use F war. It's like, well, no, well that's not the one we're going to use. It, it, there's 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 too much disparity there. That it's just something that. It's a novel idea. Mm-hmm. It's one of those ones that they're throwing it against the wall to see if it sticks. But I just don't. I I, I don't think the players are ever going to go for it. I I don't disagree with that. And I think they're going to be if they do institute this. I think there will be shortcomings, and I think there will be a lot of things they're going to have to overcome. But I don't hate the idea itself. I think there's some value to it. But we'll see what happens. I think it's you know a lot, there's going to be a lot that changes in the new CBA. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of change, and this is one of the things that hey, if they do it for a year and they don't like it. You know, you can scrap it and, and try something else the next year. I, I, I think that using stats like batting average in the salary arbitration process isn't exactly progressive anyway. So that's just my opinion on it. All right, guys. That was sounding off with Zach Goodman. Uh, it's an interesting conversation. It's one uh-huh. that, that's worth having. Um, like you said, I don't think any, any one of us expects it to happen. And th- there's just too much that has to go. Yeah. There, there's so many things coming up in the CBA that we don't even know about sure, right now. Sure. And we just hope that it all gets figured out. Guys, that's going to do it here for hour number one on the bat around. When we come back from the uh, LA Times, he covers the Angels, a beat writer. We have Jack Harris joining in the program. That and more on the bat around after this. offer card as a thank you when you donate to Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 20th at any of the 13 Baltimore area Chick-fil-A Stuff the Truck event sites. Be one of the first 50 people to donate and you also get a free t-shirt. For a location list and more information, visit PressBoxOnline.com slash Toy Drive. Hey, it's KZ. The PressBox Fantasy Football Show is back, as always, on Thursdays. You can catch it at 1130. We're brought to you this year, CCBC and Glory Days Grill. You can catch the show two ways, Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. The slash radio is if you want to listen. On Facebook is if you actually want to see my ugly face. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. DFS, daily lineups, keepers, all kinds of fun stuff. Please tune in, PressBox Fantasy Football Show every Thursday, 11.30 a.m. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Maryland, this is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career? Or maybe you want an IT certification. CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field. 
and it's all tuition free. From the basics to specialized trading, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy their award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings. Or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $6.99 burgers on Mondays and $5.99 nachos on Thursdays. And watch football on their big screens every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Dine in and let us serve you or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. And take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Hey guys, it's Paul Valley, and there's a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as I've joined Glenn every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon. There will be some changes, but what won't change is the absolute best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you, very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Coach Mark Turgeon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. He is Mr. Kyle Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. You can watch us live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All right, welcome back to the Batter Round, coming to you live from the studios here in Baltimore. Uh, that we, our number one is in the books, and it was brought to you by Project Game Day. Once again, this season, Pressbox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. If you want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show, then tune in to Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Drew Forrester joins Glenn tomorrow for the Baltimore-Chicago matchup. You can watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. That's PressBox's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. Now, Zach, the the Tigers were making a little bit of noise this past week. I'm sorry, not the Tigers. The Angels. The Angels were making a little bit of noise this past week. We knew that they spent their first 20 draft picks this past year on, uh, on pitching. They go out and they sign... Uh, Noah Syndergaard, one year, $21 million. I think they need a little bit, do a little bit more to get back in the contention here. Mike Trout being healthy would certainly be be a big coup for them. However, they do have the MVP in Shohei Otani. And with that in mind, joining us now from the LA Times, he's a beat writer for the Los Angeles Angels. He is Jack Harris. Jack, thanks so much for joining us uh, this morning. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, we're doing very well. Th- very well. The. Uh, we know that the CBA is expiring here in, a, in just a couple of weeks. Uh, so th- uh, there's been a bit of a free agent flurry. And we just mentioned Noah Syndergaard signs a one-year $21 million deal with the Angels. It's kind of been met with a little bit of resistance around baseball. Uh, what kind of a signing is this for the Angels? How does it help them? And why are people uh, so uh, seem to be a little bit against it so far? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, you can see both sides um, from – there's obviously uh, 
a lot of risk attached to this. You're getting a guy who only pitched two innings last year, who's coming off Tommy John surgery, who hasn't even, you know, you have to go back to 2018 to find a season where he really looked like one of the better pitchers in baseball, and you're giving him $21 million, which is going to be the biggest single-season salary for a pitcher in, uh, in Angels history. So, um, you know, it, it's not a small investment. It's not a small risk. You know, I think for the Angels, especially in a vacuum when you look at this deal, um, I, I, I think that the, their logic is, is pretty clear here, which is, you know, they're in this spot where they have all these big contracts and they're trying to find ways to, to quickly become a contender, to, to quickly build this pitching staff and, into one that can actually complement their lineup. And they looked at Noah Syndergaard and they said, well, if this goes really well, he gives us a, a legitimate one-two punch with Shohei Otani at the top of our rotation. Uh, even if he's just decent, that's going to be an upgrade over a lot of the mid-rotation options they've had in years past. Uh, they did a lot of work on him. They spent most of the month of October having people in their organization breaking down film from last year, from 2019, going through the numbers, trying to come up with ways that they think they can help him get better. Um, and, and they looked at this as a chance to, again, if it doesn't work out, it's just one year. They can they can go back next winter and, and, and still have the money available. And if it does, you know, for, for 2022, it, it could be a big thing. Now, I, for me, I think you got to look at it um, in the context of the full offseason. Like if Noah Syndergaard is the best pitcher they get this winter, that's probably not enough to make you a, a legitimate contender. But if it's the first move and a couple additions to the rotation, if they get a, a, another one of these big-name pitchers on the market or make a big trade for a pitcher, I, I, I think it's, it, it makes a lot of sense as long as it keeps their options open for the rest of the winter, which they think it can, but, uh, but time will tell on that. Well, yeah, and, and I'm <clears throat> I'm glad you mentioned that because it brings me to my next question. Are, are there rumblings that they're not done, that they're going after other pitching? Because I agree with you. I, I think that you need more than just a Noah Syndergaard if you want to make this team back into a contender. Uh, do you hear anything about those trades or about any other free agent signings in the in the near future? Yeah, I mean, there's no try to go get more pitching. Even uh, their, their GM, Perry Manassian, made that clear when he was talking to the media about the Syndergaard deal. It's, it's the question of of how uh, the level of quality that they're going to go get. So, did we lose you? Robbie, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, we we got you. We lost you there for a split uh, second. Even uh, you know, obviously, guys like like Max Scherzer, Robbie, I mean, like like those are guys that at least right now they're they're insisting are still on the table for them financially. And, and if you can get one of those guys to go along with Noah Syndergaard, it, it's a pretty impressive offseason now if their next couple editions are more in the Alex Wood, Stephen Matz sort of category. Um, again, I think you go into next year with, with still a lot of questions about, okay, how good can this pitching staff really be? So I don't doubt that Noah Syndergaard, I, I'm sure they're going to add other pitchers uh, on top of him this winter. It's just a question of, again, can they really go get another kind of premier frontline guy with a proven track record who isn't coming off Tommy John and who doesn't have as many questions as Syndergaard is going to have going into next year. Yeah, and my memory may not be serving me correctly here, but I, I, if I can recall, I think the last big contract they gave out to a pitcher was probably the C.J. Wilson a long time ago. It seems like they spend right. they spend all of their money in the offseason on offense. Um, you look at they have 
they added Anthony Rendon. He's missed. He's played in just 110 games in two seasons. And now one of them was a 60 game season, but he still missed uh, nearly a third of that season. Um, he missed most of this year, and he hasn't been too effective when he's been in the lineup. Trout missed 36 games in 2021. How are they coming along from their injuries, um, and do you expect them to come back and be big-time producers in 2022? Yeah, I mean, the, both of those guys uh, will be ready by spring training. Uh, Mike Trout, at this point, is completely recovered from that calf injury that kept him out for the last four months of the season. Uh, Anthony Rendon is still going through some some rehab on a hip surgery he had in, in July. But uh, uh, the expectation is both of them will be healthy and back at 100% or close to it going into spring. Um, but again, I think, you know, for both of them, they're, you, you, especially Trout, like he's going into his age 30 season. Um, this is the time where, again, I don't think, uh, I, I still think he's going to be one of the best players in the game. But for the Angels, especially if they don't completely remake their pitching staff and, and have one of the better pitching staffs in the game next year, the margin for error uh, from their lineup is really thin because they need all of those top guys to not only be healthy, but to be really, really good. Um, and, and you saw, I mean, even made small improvements from the past couple of years when they didn't have those guys, they were nowhere near the playoff chase near the end of the season. So, um, yeah, I think it's fair to, to expect that both of them can come back and have really good years. I think it's possible that one or both of them struggle a little bit. And, and if it's the latter case, um, Again, that that's going to just make it that much harder for them, especially if they don't add the kind of pitching they need to uh, to, to be a real contender and, and actually have a legitimate chance to to make a push for the postseason next year. Well, yeah, and you know, when when you have those guys healthy, you have three legitimate MVP candidates in the middle of your lineup with Otani, Trout and Rendon. Um, one thing where there was a glaring hole uh, was at shortstop last year, and they had Jose Iglesias. They got him in that trade with Baltimore. He didn't finish the year with the uh, with the Angels. He ended up back with, the, back with the Red Sox where he began his career. He was a bit of a letdown defensively. His bat was so-so. Are they in the market for one of the big free agent shortstops this offseason, and is there a sense of urgency to get to get this deal, any, a, any kind of deal done before things expire here in a couple of weeks? I don't think you're going to see them, uh, especially going after one of these top shortstops. It's just too much money. They have too many other needs on the roster. And again, when, when when they look at their lineup and, and, and just the way their team's built, they're not missing another premier bat, that's for sure. What they is, is a really good defensive player. Last year they were set hoping the Iglesias could be that. It didn't pan out. And one of the, the things that really frustrated them from, from last season was just how poorly their defense panned out. When you add in Mike Trout being gone and Anthony Rendon being gone and, and having that sort of uncertainty at shortstop. So that's one of the things they're going to try to – they're going to look at a lot of internal options this year. Could involve maybe moving David Fletcher over from second base to short and, and figuring out something else at second. Um, it could involve maybe a smaller move. Uh, but you're not going to see them – go out and sign one of those those top five shortstops on the market. They're going to have to get a little more creative at that position. And it's just an example of sort of the corners that you can get backed into as a team when you have a bunch of big contracts on the books, but you also have a bunch of holes on your roster and you have to start trying to prioritizing wherever you want the rest of the money to go. So I think it's been pretty clear so far for the Angels this winter 
They're going to spend most, if not almost all of their available payroll on improving the pitching and then see if they can get by at shortstop, whether that's, you know, a, a Luis Rahifo who's, who's on their roster and played okay at the end of last season, whether it's some other sort of mix of players there. Um, but again, that, that's going to be one of the big questions they're going to have to answer next year. And they're probably going to go into the year without a, a really obvious option. Jack, is Kyron Paris an option? Obviously, he hasn't really played in, in that high of the minors yet. He's been down in you know an A ball for a little while. But he's a guy who's performed generally well throughout his entire career as one of the top prospects for the Angels. Is he a guy that could eventually this year become the starting shortstop for them? Uh, I think it'd be pretty surprising, especially for this coming year, to see him. And, and you know, this hits on another one of their issues, which is just they don't have a lot of, uh, especially on the position player side now, they, they don't have a lot of um, prospects who, who are, you know, the, the best ones they do have, like a Kyron Paris, like a Jeremiah Jack and some other guys. They're just still probably a year or two away from, from really being able or capable of contributing in a major way at the big league level. Um, so I, I don't think that one is, is as much of a, a realistic possibility going into next year. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it, when, when it comes to their farm system, they, they, they've, you know, kind of same thing as they've approached free agency. It's been looking at the pitching, trying to add more pitchers, trying to fix these things. So, which again, I think on the face of it is, is pretty smart logic when you look at just where the team has struggled historically the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, there, there's not a lot of obvious, uh, obvious players in the farm system right now who at a lot of positions who are ready to really come up and take over one of their spots at the big league roster. Jack, Joe Madden was brought in prior to 2020 because they wanted to change the direction of this team. They wanted to stop middling. They wanted to have a proven guy who could lead this team back into the playoffs and hopefully get them back to another world championship run. Um, however, They've been sub-500 in his tenure here, 103 and 119 under Joe Madden. Now, look, this hasn't really been his fault. There's been a lot of injuries, uh, and, and some of the pitching that they brought in for him hasn't panned out. And he's still one of the best managers in the game. How warm does his seat get this year if the Angels miss the playoffs again? Uh, that's a fair question, especially when you consider at this point uh, he, he's going to be going into a year where this is the last year of his contract. Um, now, maybe they work something out later this offseason for on, on an extension, but but so far uh, at this point, it you know I think it's possible. is coaching next year in a contract year, um, which could obviously play a big factor in just you know what happens beyond that, depending on their performance. Uh, like I, I don't think Joe Madden is to blame for a lot of the stuff that goes that, that, that's happened with them. Um, one of the the positives that they've had is especially this year that there was a lot of talk about, you know, the, the, the clubhouse culture, some of those, those harder to quantify things, but even Noah Stuttgart mentioned in his, his press conference this week that he, he heard from one of the angels relievers that he works out with that, that it was so most fun he his career. So, um, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Joe does if they give him a better roster. I think obviously that's been one of his strengths as a manager is, is being able to take teams that um, when they don't have a, a, a flawed or just kind of missing pieces in the way they're constructed, um, he's, he's shown that he can take teams and, and maximize their talent and get them into the postseason and, and be able to navigate 
uh, playoff runs. So at, at this point, like my expectation is that unless something goes really wrong next year, he's he's probably still coming back in 2023. But I think there is at least a level of uncertainty there because of the contract, because of the fact that they haven't performed yet. Um, and also, again, this isn't this isn't the GM that hired him. Now him and him and Perry Manassian have uh, a pretty good relationship. Um, but uh, again, you, you kind of never know, especially with these things and, and, and the, the nature of, of managers in, in baseball right now. Like things can change pretty quick, just depending on on how one season goes. And, and, and right or wrong, honestly, the manager is almost always a scapegoat when when a team underperforms, and that's just how it goes in baseball and in every sport for that matter these days. Now, Jack, before we let you go, we can't have an Angels beat writer on the show and not talk about Shohei Otani. Unanimous MVP in 2021, monster on the offensive side of the ball. Hit 20 homers that were that were over 425 feet. And then on the mound, oh, he just had a sub three ERA and was had over 10 strikeouts per nine innings. How impressive was it to watch Shohei Otani this season? And uh, my final point: How sustainable is what he's doing? Well, that's the question that uh, you know could end up being the whatever the 500 million dollar question with his free agency looming a couple years away. Um, you know, to answer the first part, I think kind of the most amazing thing about his season was just how routine it would look when you were around it day after day. You know, the, the kind of novelty aspect of, oh, yeah, this guy was pitching and now is batting and, and is playing literally almost every game. He played in 158 games. He's going to the outfield sometimes. And, you know, after a while, it, it just became something – you would expect and that the angels would expect. And it's just part of their, you know, just part of the, the normal rhythm of the season was seeing him do all these different things and hit home runs the way he did. And, um, and the other thing on top of that is he was doing it without much protection in the lineup, especially once Trout got hurt and Doan got hurt. Um, you really saw guys stop pitching to him. Uh, so it was definitely like became the kind of year that, that required, Obviously, a lot of, of you know, uh, physical sort of preparation and, 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 you know, taking care of your body, but also just mentally, like, the fact that he was able to do what he do, he did, preparing for both roles, being able to manage sort of the, the, the different roadblocks and, and difficulties that came up. Uh, again, I, I think, you know, what he did this year, just the, the way that it was received by baseball and just the unexpected nature of it, um, it, there's a reason he won the, the MVP unanimously oh, yeah. and, and had a season that's going to be remembered as, as one of the best all time. In, in terms of the sustainability of it, if he stays healthy, I think he, he's definitely capable of, of doing both roles and doing them well um, on, a, on a full-time basis moving forward. Uh, one of the big questions will be if he starts to pitch more, how does that impact his hitting? He only made 23 starts and through 130 innings this year. Right. If you're going to add more to that, you know, the pitching is the thing that really leaves him fatigued for a day or two afterward. He was able to fight through it for the most part this year. They, they did move around a couple of the starts and push him back a couple of times. And he had some other just small things that popped up that forced him to miss a start or two over the course of the year. Um, so, so I think that's the thing that'll be sort of the next, big challenge and, and, and the thing that that I think will dictate this is can he add another 20, 30, 40 innings every year pitching and, and, and still do what he did at the plate? 
Um, but I, I think this is a guy who offensively is going to continue, again, as long as he stays healthy, is going to continue to be capable of having 30, 40 home run seasons with 900 or, or, or more OPSs and, and steal 20 or 25 bases. And a guy who on the mound um, is just so crafty, has so many different ways that he can get guys out, uh, that, and, and now has shown that he can handle all the other stuff that comes with it. So you ask people around the Angels, they kind of feel the same way. Like, obviously, you need some luck with injuries, uh, which he, he didn't get early in his MLB career. But if he can stay in the lineup and stay out there, uh, maybe it's not at a unanimous MVP level moving forward, but, but it could definitely be at a level of it that would help the Angels uh, get a lot closer to contending status. Well, he certainly was arguably the most valuable player in all of baseball, not just the American League, given what he does on both sides of the ball. Jack, thank you so much. Uh, tell our listeners where they can follow you on Twitter, and what can we plug for you today? Yeah, you can follow me at uh, Jack underscore A underscore LATimes.com. Uh, click on the Angels tab. There, there's a lot of stuff. It's been a, a busy offseason so far, so uh, we'll keep having a lot of stuff there. All right, Jack, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us here on a Saturday morning. Have a great offseason. Hopefully we'll talk to you again next summer, all right? I right, appreciate it. Take care. And that was Jack Harris joining us. He is the beat writer for the L.A. Angels for the L.A. Times. Uh, really great segment with him. Really interesting to talk about mm-hmm. Shohei Otani. I, I told him that the segment wasn't going to be more than 10 to 15 minutes, and he stayed He stayed for 20. So there was one thing I wanted to bring up, but I didn't with him because I, I wanted to let him go. Um I wonder if the Angels have ever considered using Shohei Otani out of the bullpen as like a late inning reliever, as their closer. Because A, I don't think he gets as tired out if you only right. use him in one inning rolls. And B, he may be more, even more valuable because he can get up into the triple digits. And when you have a guy who has an arm like that pitching in the ninth inning for you, it makes your I think it makes your team better. Well, closer Shohei Otani would be locked down. I can't imagine a clo- as a closer he would he would be wouldn't be one of the best pitchers in baseball at that point um what I do want to say about that I I agree with you I see a I see a, a point um you know he he does help them with their starting pitching because they don't have a lot of it outside of now Noah Syndergaard but they just don't have a lot of a lot of talent there so he's almost needed it's almost a, you know a necessity to have him as a starting pitcher but I think as a reliever you could really increase his longevity especially as a hitter for you know maybe he lasts as a hitter for 10 more years instead of lasting for, for six more years or somewhere around there because his body doesn't take as much of a toll. Uh, yeah. Because starting pitching takes such a toll on a body. And, and, and the other thing is he doesn't have to miss games after a start. You, right. you can basically, he can start in right field right. or he can be your DH and then you just lose that spot in the right. lineup. You don't even have to lose it. You lose the DH, right. but he still stays in there, and it's one inning he comes in to pitch. Right. I mean, you know he, what I mean? He plays right field for eight innings, closes the game out. I mean, that's an incredibly valuable player to any now, team. I can only imagine. You'd need to have a bullpen, and I'm sure they do. You'd need to have a pitching tunnel for him mm-hmm. inside the clubhouse. I'm sure they do, yeah. yeah I, I would, and, I would and be I'm, shocked. So that he can warm up. I'm sure that they do. Um, look, the, the, the Shohei Otani is an incredible player, and he it's is. certainly something that we're looking forward to seeing. I'm not so sure how sustainable the, the starting pitching aspect of it is, yeah, but I, I, think, I think that there's always going to be a role for him pitching in some form or fashion in baseball, just... We have to see what it is. Right, right now, they like him as a starter. We'll see how it is moving forward. Yeah. 
Uh, look, the Battle Round is brought to you in part by the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zales. You can join us every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. KZ will help you set your lineups, find deep sleepers that might still be on your waiver wire. He said Nate McCrary might be worth a pickup. Yeah. Um, in order to help you win your matchups. It's all brought to you by CCBC, the Maryland Department of Transportation, and Glory Days Grill. Thanks to the Press Box. That's the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Watch at Facebook.com slash Sports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Look, this week only because of the Thanksgiving holiday, um, they're not doing the show on Thursday because we don't have a show on Thursday or on Friday for that matter, but they're going to do it on Wednesday. So this Wednesday, what what's Wednesday, 21st, 22nd? Wednesday the 24th. 24th. Yeah, you're yeah. right, 24th. Wednesday yes. the 24th, <laughs> they will be doing the Fantasy Football Show live at 4.30. You can watch it um, You can watch it live or listen to it at pressboxonline.com slash video before... Let me start that over. You can watch it at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. You can listen to it live at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Or you can catch it at pressboxonline.com slash video before the Thanksgiving games. Either way, let Ken Zalas and Glenn Clark help you set your lineups with with uh, the Press Box Fantasy Football Show this Wednesday, special date and time, the 24th at 4.30 p.m. we got to get a break. When we come back, we are going to do a little bit of Orioles banter, and then we will talk with a beat writer for The Athletic for the Tigers, uh, Cody Stavenhagen. That and more on the battle round. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy their award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings, or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $6.99 burgers on Mondays and $5.99 nachos on Thursdays. And watch football on their big screens every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Dine in and let us serve you, or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. What's up, everybody? This is Ty's Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Ties Bowser show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Ties Bowser show. The next Tyus Bowser show is this Tuesday night, November 23rd at Alonzo's on Cold Spring Lane. It's brought to you by Window Depot Baltimore, windowdepotbaltimore.com, and Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Duffy'sGarageMD.com, as well as Press Box and Grade 8's memorabilia. And the NFL chicks, Rita Hubbard, joins us courtesy of my bookie. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Receive a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich offer card as a thank you when you donate the Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 20th at any of the 13 Baltimore-area Chick-fil-A Stuff the Truck event sites. Be one of the first 50 people to donate, and you also get a free T-shirt. For a location list and more information, visit PressBoxOnline.com toydrive toy drive. 
from all of the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while at MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus up to $1,000. Double your money before you even place a bet, and all you have to do is sign up and deposit using the exclusive promo code PRESSBOX at MyBookie.ag. If your first deposit is $100, MyBookie adds $100 so you can start with $200 to play with. If your first deposit is $1,000, MyBookie adds $1,000 so you can start with $2,000 to play with. With tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, there is truly something for everyone. Don't wait any longer. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can start winning big today. That's promo code PRESSBOX to receive double your first deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. We are back here on the battle round, well into hour number two of the program uh, right now, we've got some Orioles banter, and it was basically who was left unprotected. They they signed a couple of guys. First, the first thing we're going to talk about they got Lucius Fox from the uh, from the Royals. He was claimed he was added to the forty man roster. This is a guy who once got I think it was like six point six million dollars from the Giants. Wow! Uh, coming out of the Bahamas, did they not gave, know that they gave him a huge signing bonus. He was a top one hundred prospect. Uh, I believe he was as high as number seventy nine in twenty seventeen. Uh, 2019, and in 2017, he played in the Futures game on the world team. Big-time speed. Mm-hmm. Hit tool, not great. Power tool, even worse. Um, to me, he, he's basically a worse version of Jorge Mateo. To me, he's a better version of Richie Martin. Because the, Ooh, the, he's, okay. they, they look at him as somebody who is really, really good defensively. Mm-hmm. Really good defensively, but the bat is not there. No, no. Um, this is a guy who I think was added for depth. Um, he is Batman's right hand man, Lucius Fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But is there any reason to get excited about a signing like this? No, it's it's honestly Mike Elias throwing you know sticky stuff at a wall and hoping it sticks. Um, right. That's not the expression I wanted to use, but we can, we can't that's say the other it, one that's on what air. It is. We can't. Well, yeah, technically. But look, I, I think that this is a, a, one of the classic Michael Eyes waiver claims, where if it works out, it works out, and you really have nothing to lose if it doesn't. He's going to be on this. You know, he's going to be here through spring training, I would assume. And if he's good, he's on the team as a utility infielder. And if he's not, then you DFA him. I, it's it's a very low risk move, uh, but certainly nothing I'm getting excited about. And I know that people are pulling up the Royals top thirty list, the MLB pipeline, and going, oh. He's the number thirty prospect. I'm going number thirty in a really, you know, it's it's number thirty is pretty far down there. Number one and number two. If you look at the minor league numbers, they're not special at all. They're, yeah. n- they're not special at all. He just doesn't hit. Yeah, he's he's um, a two forty four career hitter, yeah. a career hitter at the minor league level. 
Uh, gets on base. Right. He, he, he gets on base with a decent but clip. He's got, stu- he's got stupid speed. I think yeah. they said he stole 27 to 28 bases or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he has 142 stolen bases in five seasons, which is yeah. wild. Yeah, he he, uh, he is... He's really fast. Yes. They have two really fast, three really fast guys on this team now when you combine him with Jorge Mateo and Cedric Mullins. Um, but one of these things is not like the others, right? No. I mean, uh, he, he just he doesn't have the bat. Even if you look at Jorge Mateo, um, it, it, it's, a lot of people talk about Mateo being kind of a light hitter. But the guy... No, what, what I was, when I was saying one of these oh. things is not like the others is Cedric Mullins is... Oh, quite, the, quite, the, quite a bit better. Quite a bit but better he, quite, quite a bit better. But my point on Mateo and the comparison to Lucius Fox is that Mateo hit in 2019 very well at the AAA level. He was, you know, he hit over, I believe, around 25 home runs, put up an over 300 batting average. His OPS was over 800. The guy was great. Lucius Fox has never put up these kind of numbers in the minors. Like you said, 244 career hitter, and honestly, the OPS is around 600, 500 in every minor league season, which is obviously not where you want to be, uh, but it, it's a depth move, and I, I think at this point, like you said earlier on the show, we know what Richie Martin is to this point, so why not give Fox a little bit of a run in spring training and see what he's like. Yeah, uh, and let's let's talk about Jorge Mateo a little bit here. Okay. Uh, is there a part of you that thinks that they should just say, hey, you're our plan for shortstop, go get it? It depends on how the shortstop market plays out. We've talked about this with Andrelton Simmons being such a perfect fit. He really is. Yeah. I, if if Simmons is you know five million dollars seven million dollars, I think you tell Mateo you're a guy. You know, let's see what you got in spring training. But if Simmons is is two three million dollars, I think you pull the trigger on that and make Simmons your starting shortstop. Jorge Mateo is one of those guys. You saw him come to the Orioles and he was he was exciting. He was mm-hmm. energetic. He was fast. He's mm-hmm. laying out doubles that shouldn't be doubles. His first hit was a triple that would have been a double for just about everybody else. Yep. Uh, you look at this guy. And he performed. He did because he was. They showed faith in him. They put him out there every single day, mm-hmm. and he went out and performed. Now look, he got hurt. Uh, I can't. Was it a leg injury? What was? I think it was a leg injury. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't anything major, but it kept yeah. him out at the end of the season. You look at Jorge Mateo, and is this a guy who, if you show the faith and the confidence in him, like, hey, you're our guy, that he can do it? Is is that the type of guy he is? But do you want to limit him? It's it's like Stan said. He, he he's like a like a pawn on a chessboard that they can mm-hmm. move anywhere. Right? Do you want to limit him to just one position, or do you want to have the versatility to play him one day in center field to give Cedric Mullins a breather, and one day at second base to give Arias a breather, and one day at third base to give whoever the hell's over there mm-hmm. a breather? It, it, do you want to limit him to the, just the one position? I, I think if he plays well enough at shortstop, where he has enough defensive prowess there, I think yes. I think you can you can put him at shortstop and if he hits 250 and you know steals a bunch of bases for you and the OPS is 700 plus, then I think you're in a good spot. Uh, but I, I think if he's a little, you know, his, his hitting and his defense are a little bit worse than that, I think he's a perfect super utility player where he can play center field some days when Mullins is sitting or he can play right or he can play third, short, second, whatever. He plays all around. So I think there's value. Uh, his value really depends on how he actually plays defensively at shortstop. I think that's the biggest deal. Well, uh, I think that one of the things, and people don't ever really talk about, I mean, they do when it happens, but they don't talk about it in the offseason, mm-hmm. is he seems to me like a player that would be kind of a slow starter. And I don't think that you can you can throw to the wayside too much how big of an impact the weather early in the season has. Yeah, it does. On, it does. On, on a player. And to me, it's like this guy could be a player who really cold in April, mm-hmm. and then in May, June, July, as the weather starts to warm up, maybe he gets a little bit looser and the, the bat starts to play a little bit more. Tim Beckham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Beckham. 
is is this one of those situations? Is it a situation where you would like to see him get a little bit longer of a leash? And if he does have a slow start, because Ryan Mountcastle is a perfect example. Horrible start. Horrible start. But then he ends up leading all rookies in home runs, and he's second in RBIs, a stat that you think doesn't mean anything. Um, <laughs> but not saying that he's like a Ryan Mountcastle, but this no. guy was once a top prospect, and now you're looking at him. He's a fringe roster player at this point. Does he need more of that opportunity? Yeah, I think he does. And if the Orioles don't have anyone as that next man up, the guy who can take you know a spot and become a starter and, and a guy that can prove himself to be better than Jorge Mateo, I think he deserves every opportunity in the world. I'm not saying Mateo is going to be some great player for the Orioles, but I, I was a big fan of what I saw from him over the short spe- uh, stretch of games that he played, and he's a guy that looked like the top 100 prospect that he was previously. He, he's exciting. He brings the energy. The guy can hit a little bit. The speed's great. The defense was, I would say, you know, uh, on, on par with what I expected, I guess. He was really fine, and I think if he keeps doing what he did in that short stretch for a full season, this is a guy I'm definitely willing to give that opportunity to. But wow. if he starts off slow... You know, and if it's by the end of May, and we're at the end of May, and he's you know he's hitting two twenty, and, and he's and looking like Rio Ruiz, and he's right, he's looking like Rio Ruiz. Then you just got to say move on. That's it. Rio Ruiz. Rio Ruiz. Anyway, um, look, I think this is a guy who could also benefit by from incorporating the bunt into his game. Oh yeah, we never saw him do it. Maybe once, maybe twice. This is a guy with that kind of speed. He needs to bunt. He needs to bunt a lot more, a lot more than we've seen him do. Like Cedric Mullins did in 2020, mm-hmm. led the league in bunt singles, and then the next year he comes out and has a 30-30 season. Right? It, it, it's it, it doesn't it, bunting doesn't mean oh you're going to come out and have a 30-30 season next year, but it's going to give you confidence that hey I can get on base. Mm-hmm. And then once you start believing that, and you, it, it also helps you see the ball better mm-hmm. because you have to square up and you have to watch the ball into the bat. It just makes you a better hitter yeah, and a better player. Mateo's got a tool set where he can do that. He can, he, he can easily bunt and get on, on base and and be a guy who can steal. You know, I think he could steal thirty bases in a year if, oh, he's, if he's on base enough. Um, he's probably. It's funny to say this because he's never going to hit thirty home runs, but he's the closest you know secondary guy to Cedric Mullins to be a 30-30 guy for the Orioles right now. Yeah. I mean, he, he would be the closest second. Best sprint speed in baseball. Right, best f- fastest guy. And I talk about the tool set. It really is a complete tool set. He's got all five tools except maybe the power. Isn't quite, you know, but he did hit again over 25 home runs in the uh, in Triple A in 2019. So he is a guy who does have a little bit of power. And to me, the, the the tool set is so raw, and that opportunity he definitely deserves. Uh, and I would much rather give him an, an opportunity over even a guy like Kelvin Gutierrez. I think there's just a big talent difference there. Yeah, it's crazy, man. This um this segment was supposed to be about the Rule Five and the players that were protected. Jorge but, but but you know. Orioles banter. It's, that's what this is. We're talking about Jorge Mateo and what he could mean to this team. But I do want to switch gears a little bit to the Rule 5 uh, and the players that were protected. Again, D.L. Hall, Taron Vavra, Kyle Bradish, Kevin Smith were the obvious ones. They also protected Logan Gillespie, which just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But the Orioles no. know more about him than we do, and they're smarter than we are. Yeah. So, um, And Felix Batista seemed like an obvious choice to me mm-hmm. as well. We already talked about Nick Vespi and uh, Robert Newstrom as being guys that you're not surprised, but you kind of thought that they had a chance to be left, to be protected. Who else were you? Did you see that wasn't protected? That you're just like, oh man, they're probably gonna lose him. I mean, for me, the number one was was Newstrom. Um, I didn't think any of the other ones were too surprising. Foki Peralta was, a, I guess, a little bit surprising because he is he's a guy that. Um, 
he pitched well. He, yeah. he frankly pitched really, really well. He was one of the, the best pitchers in that Bowie rotation this year. So I think of Felky Peralta was a bit surprising, but overall, Adam Hall, I'm not shocked at that at all. Um, but there, you know, the other guys, Cody Sedlock, no, nah, I'm not surprised at all. But I think that Newstrom, to me, what he did and the numbers he put up, I, I, I really can't understand why he wasn't a guy who would be protected. Again, like Stan said earlier on the show, what do they see in a guy like Brooks Krisky over a guy like Robert Newstrom? Why would you risk Robert Newstrom for a guy like Brooks Krisky even? It just doesn't really make sense. Or a guy like DJ Stewart. Why are you risking Robert Newstrom for DJ Stewart? I, I'd like to hear the thought process behind that. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That's a prospect, a, a legitimate real prospect. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the, the, the thing about DJ Stewart and... DJ Stewart has proven that, that he has power at the major league level, that he can get base, on base at the major league level. The defense, is, the defense is absolutely terrible, and the batting average just dips below 200. Mm-hmm. It, it has the last two years. Um, but he's proven that he's done it at the major that he that he can at least be serviceable at times at the major league level. Yeah. Robert Newstrom, you've never seen him. You've, no, you've only, sure. You've only, and we've talked about the gap. We've talked about the gap. Um, between the between AAA and the majors this year, I'm just uh, saying, why risk it? That's my point. Yeah, because he's probably not going to get taken. Somebody might take him, and if they do take him, he's probably getting returned because you you can't just stash an outfielder, and he doesn't profile as a fourth outfielder uh, for a team. Uh, we're so used to the Orioles taking one, two, sometimes even three guys in the Rule Five draft and keeping them that we think that every team operates this way. A lot of teams don't make picks. In these Rule Five drafts, and you have to imagine that you're you're saying that Robert Newstrom is he's a very good player, and I think he's close to major league ready. And I think that if he doesn't get picked, that he could be on the Orioles roster this season, um, the Orioles active roster this season. However, is he one of those guys that's at the top of the Rule Five draft that people are going to? take a look at maybe not I mean it, it is hard to stash an outfielder um it's hard to to let a guy be on your roster for 162 games and if he underperforms then he's just going to get returned so of course it's difficult really with any rule five player it's difficult to keep him on the roster every team has learned this by now um and and the Orioles are a team that loves to experiment with this and it's worked out for them in, in recent years with Santander Tyler Wells but for me I, I'm not entirely confident anyone's going to take a chance on Newstrom but you look at the minor league numbers and it's a little bit surprising to see a guy like that available. But then there's also guys like Griffin Conine out there who hit over 30 home runs in the minors this year. Yes, he struck out over 50% of the time, but he's a guy that hit 30 home runs and is available in the Rule 5 draft. 100, so, 185 strikeouts yeah. and less than 400 at-bats. <laughs> that's, that's not great. Yeah, it's not good at all. But, I mean, there's always going to be a bit surprising names, and I think Conine and, and Newstrom are the two most surprising ones for me in this in this yeah. Rule 5 draft. They, they certainly are, and these are these are roster moves that the Orioles were forced to make because they are. Uh, they had to by 6 p.m. last night, as all teams did. They're certainly not going to be active, uh, as active as other teams on the free agent market. Certainly not as active as the Tigers have been and are expected to be. With that in mind, we have the Tigers beat writer for the Athletic, Co- for the Athletic Cody Stavenhagen, on the line with us right now. Cody, how are you this morning? Hey, doing well. How are you? We're doing very well. We're excited to have you on the program because, look, the Tigers are going to rebuild themselves. And they went out and they they won 77 games this year. They have a proven manager at the helm in A.J. Hinch. And they're going out and they're saying, hey, we're ready to win now, right? So they go out and they the first thing they do is they sign Eduardo Rodriguez, five years, $77 million. What does he bring to this team and how important is he going to be to a rotation that's going to be led by guys like Tariq Skubal and uh, Casey Mize, uh, who we expect to take big steps forward next year? 
Yeah, the Tigers viewed, you know, acquiring an, an established starting pitcher as a necessity. It was at the top of their offseason shopping list, maybe even equal to the idea of signing a shortstop. Um, they thought they needed a veteran presence in the rotation. They have three very talented young pitchers in Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, and Matt Manning. But what they kind of lack, especially with Matthew Boyd injured, Spencer Turnbull injured, is a proven quote-unquote veteran guy. Um, they were going to not quite shop at the very top of the starting pitching market, but they wanted a guy kind of in this second tier, and Eduardo Rodriguez ended up being the guy they liked the most. Um, they're paying a pretty pity for him, but I think Eduardo, you know, it goes beyond the, you see the 4.74 ERA. You think is this a good deal? Uh, the Tigers really dove beyond the surface. Um, basically, Eduardo Rodriguez was historically unlucky last season in Boston in terms of um, you know his batting average and balls on play. And the Tigers think they're getting a guy who's still young enough, also who can only continue to get better in, in a short uniform. Now, starting pitching is only as good as the bullpen that follows it. Um, the bullpen was sneaky good for this team, and it featured five relievers that appeared in 40 or more games with sub-four ERAs. Are they in the market for more relief help to kind of keep pace with a team like the White, like the White Sox, who has such a strong back end? Yeah, uh, the Tigers have been a little bit quiet about acquiring a reliever so far, but I know at at least one point they were interested in adding another relief pitcher, maybe a power lefty. Uh, I, I think the Tigers do. They have a sneaky good bullpen. Um, it kind of took them until probably June-ish to really get the bullpen established last season, and it was very good from there on out. I think it has a shot to be a great um, bullpen this next season. Gregory Soto just throws gas as a closer. You have Michael Fulmer, who's adapted to being a very good reliever. Jose Cisnero, uh, Kyle Funkhauser, Alex Lang, some other very talented arms. But just like the rotation, I don't think it would hurt to bring in one more established guy, a proven reliever, probably not a closer that's going to go to Soto, but if they could get another proven reliever um, or another left-handed arm, I think that that adds a whole other element to a bullpen that could be quite good next year. Well, have you heard any rumblings then about them going out and getting another starting rotation piece? Are they in the market for one of these top-end guys? Do you think it would be another guy who's a, kind of a mid-tier type of type of pitcher? Are they Are they planning on getting more to add to that rotation then? Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, they definitely want to add another starter, but I think this one will come at, with a much lower price tag. Um, they had Willie Peralta, who who was kind of a low-key, very good starter for them last year, who they're interested in bringing back. Or I think they f- try to find a bounce-back type candidate at the lower end of the market. I don't think they'll spend a lot on another starting pitcher. Uh, you saw him kind of pass on the the idea of a Justin Verlander reunion, which would have been fun, but they were they were never seriously interested in that. So they, they need to add a fifth starter, but um, I don't think it will be a huge headline sign. Now, earlier in the week, right after Rodriguez got signed, um, the rumors started swirling that Carlos Correa was going to be next. Now, this this guy has a blue check mark next to his name on Twitter. He puts it out there, and everybody gets. Uh, all excited about Carlos Correa becoming a Detroit Tiger. However, we find out this guy was just a a podcaster probably trying to get clicks. Um, And now we hear John Heyman reporting that the Tigers like Correa, but they're probably not going to spend $300 million on a player this offseason. How confident are you that they're going to get one of these top five shortstops on the market? And do you think it will be Carlos Correa, or is it going to be somebody else? Yeah, I think the Tigers... um 
you know, have no reason to not go get a shortstop. I think that this offseason presents a rare opportunity to add a premium player at a premium position. Uh, the Tigers are definitely in on the market. They've had contact with the agents for all the top five or six guys in this conversation. So I think they will sign a shortstop. Um, the Correa thing is an interesting question. I've you know known since midsummer the Tigers are indeed wary of signing a deal probably longer than five years, but especially with you look at Correa who's seeking ten year ten years three hundred million, they are a little wary of that. Right. Uh, I wonder about the Heyman report. Is that is that saying no, we're not going to do this, or is that the Tigers trying to maybe? Um, leverage Correa a little bit and say, hey, if you come down to seven, eight years, maybe then we can talk. Um, it's an interesting conversation because Correa is probably the best player on the market, but I think he's almost become overhyped to, is he that much better than Trevor Story? Is he that much better than even Corey Seager? Um, maybe even, you know, Marcus Simeon. And that's where the Tigers face an interesting discussion. Would they go for one of these other guys on a shorter-term contract? I think they're certainly interested in that. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I certainly do believe they are wary of a, a 10-year, $300 million deal, and that could end up being um, kind of a deal-breaker that, that causes them to go in another direction. Cody, what is the story behind the the breakfast that A.J. Hinch and Carlos Correa had this week? Is there anything to that? Or you know, they were spotted in Houston together, uh, and then it was confirmed that they had breakfast together. What, what's the what's the whole backstory behind that? Yeah, you know, I think the breakfast was real. Um, I think that's, in a way, you know, that's, that's eye-catching on social media. In another way, I think the Tigers are meeting with agents and probably players, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not super you know, uncommon for someone to do this, but, you know, AJ and Carlos are in the same area. I think AJ said, Hey, can we go get breakfast and, and, you know, talk about the Tigers, talk about the direction we're going, talk about what you might be thinking in free agency. It was from what I understand, a a long meal, almost went into lunchtime. Uh, But it also wasn't the first time AJ and Carlos had met this off season. These guys have a prior relationship um, you know, it's tough. I don't, I don't know what the conversations were, so I don't know exactly how much to make of it, but in a way it's not, you know, out of practice for a manager to go have lunch with, with a pers- uh, prospective signing, especially a guy he has a prior relationship with. Um, AJ's a pretty personable guy. I'm sure he's met with other, other players and, and things of kind of this nature, but it is interesting that he's in there in public having, a long breakfast with Carlos Correa, it certainly makes you wonder. Now, speaking of A.J. Hinch, this is a guy, look, the Tigers, they lost 98, 98, and 114 games three years in a row. And then in 2020, if it panned out to a full season, they were on a 95-plus loss pace again. And then this year, A.J. Hinch takes over the team. They come close to playing 500 ball. They were very competitive in the second half. Was his impact that big? Or are the Tigers really just this close to being that competitive? No, Hinch's impact really was um, pretty astounding. It really made me reevaluate the the idea of, okay, maybe a manager does make a difference. Um, You know, culture is kind of an empty buzzword, but I think from day one, Hinch brought in a culture that said, okay, we're not going to accept losing. You saw a lot of roster turnover, turnover in his first month or two. Uh, I think kind of weeded out the guys who didn't fit his, you know, his blueprint in, in terms of both on the field and off the field. And he managed creatively. This is a guy who managed the Houston Astros, one of baseball's most analytically savvy teams, 
So I was almost surprised to see AJ utilize. He sacked Bunnen more than the league average. The Tigers stole bases well above the league average. He got creative in how he utilized the talent around him in Detroit. Um, and so I think it's going to be super interesting to see what, what Hinch can do if he gets, you know, an improved uh, roster around him because he certainly got every bit out of his roster this past season. Well, yeah, and part of that roster is Miguel Cabrera, who just played his year th- his uh, age 38 season. He hit 256. He had a negative B war. He's 13 hits away from 3,000. So he's going to come back this year, and they're going to give him that opportunity. He signed through 2023. But what is the outlook for Miguel Cabrera with the Detroit Tigers after he gets that 3,000th hit? Is this a guy that they're going to ride with all season, or is it going to be kind of like a a Chris Davis, Albert Pujols type of situation? Yeah, it's a a terrific question that I think uh, a lot of people in Detroit are just kind of putting on the back burner now and say, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, But I think you're right. Cabrera, although... He found a way to kind of remain a productive hitter, even if his B-war doesn't show it. He was not a complete albatross in the lineup. Um, He's still occupying a roster spot. He's making $32 million, and especially if the Tigers are serious about getting more competitive, um, how much do you want a DH who's going to hit 256 for uh, minimal power, you know, occupying, number one, a prime spot in your batting order, number two, a spot on your roster I would not be surprised if this is Cabrera's final season. That's not me reporting anything, but it's just tough to see him enduring two more years, especially if the Tigers are serious about continuing to build up and and contend for a playoff spot. Um, I I think the Tigers will try to, you know, if it were to come to that, the Tigers would probably try to choose a more graceful departure than, say, Pujols and Anaheim. I think Miguel's a legend. He has 500. He's going to get 3,000. I think they would try to do it in a in a way that kind of honors him, and hopefully it would be a mutual thing. Uh, but it's still tough to think about and look down the road and say, is this guy really going to play two more full seasons? I have a hard time picturing it. Yeah, I, I certainly do too, especially when you have a guy like Spencer Torkelson in your minor league system. Just played his first minor league system, uh, his first minor league season. We in Baltimore wanted him so badly, man. We were hoping the Tigers were somehow going to pass on him with that number one overall pick. They certainly did not, and rightfully so. It's 30 homers his first minor league season. How close is he to the majors, and how big of a um, how how big is he in the Tigers' plans for 2022 and beyond? Yeah, he's close, and he's a, a huge part of the plans. I think Torkelson will get ample opportunity in spring training to win a roster spot. Um, I think the Tigers look at kind of his strikeout rate and some other things in AAA and think, okay, there's maybe a world in which he needs um, another month or two in the minor leagues. I don't think that's really service time dependent. We also don't know what the rules are going to be under the next CBA. Uh, I don't think they're going to throw him straight to the Wolves unless they really feel he's ready. I think Torgelson will absolutely spend the majority of the summer playing at the major league level um, and, and probably occupying a prime spot in the batting order. They certainly view this guy as um, a, a polished hitter, a guy who can be a perennial all-star and, and hit in the middle of the order. And I think he will get get his chance to begin his career you know, quite soon this season. Yeah, I think we can all be excited for that. I love I love Spencer Spencer Torkelson. I'm excited to see his career get off and running. And finally, Cody, what's the mindset of this Tigers team entering 2022? Obviously, every team wants to win the division and ultimately taste the championship. 
But are they all in in 2022, or is this season another step towards uh, a title contention in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, some of both. Um, I, I think the come-up is a fun time to be around the organization. Hopefully you guys in Baltimore get to experience that in another year or two. I think there's a lot of optimism. We'll see what happens at shortstop, but already with the signings, the acquisitions they've made, um, there's a sense that, okay, the Tigers can go out and compete. Uh, I think the players returning from last year's roster feel like they really built a lot of momentum. A lot of guys ended the year on a positive note. Now, realistically, if we're to step back, okay, this team's probably not quite ready to be, you know, World Series contenders. They'll probably be lucky to get in a wild card game. I think that's realistically, if this team could win 85 to 90 games and sneak in a wild card spot, um, that's probably most realistic for the 2022 Tigers. And in 2023, your pitchers have another year of experience. Prospects like Spencer Torkelson, like Riley Green, should have a year of experience. Uh, I think 2023 and 2024, the Tigers could get quite serious about real contention. All right. Well, uh, hopefully that's that's the case because I think the Orioles would like to follow that blueprint here in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, Cody, how can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I know my last name's a little uh, long and, and, and now hard to spell, but you can look me up, uh, Detroit Tigers coverage on The Athletic. Uh, you can subscribe. I think we still have a 50% off deal going on. And, um, yeah, feel free to follow me on Twitter. Cody, great stuff, man. Thanks for taking some time on a Saturday morning to join us here. Hopefully we get to talk to you next summer. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Take care. And that was Cody Stavenhagen, beat writer for the Tigers for The Athletic, joining us to talk about some of their moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I just want to remind you guys that um, – that so sports betting is – it's on its way, right? You're not going to be able to do it on your phone for a really long time, but they just passed a brick-and-mortar deal, so you can go bet on-site at some of the big casinos like Live Casino and, and uh, Horseshoe Casino and Hollywood uh, Hotel and stuff like that. You can go bet at all those places brick-and-mortar. However, you're not going to be able to do it on your phone, but that's all right. That's all right because we can, uh, we can help you do that legally with Underdog Fantasy Football. We're going to give you free money to play with. All you got to do is go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Use the code PRESSBOX, and whatever you download, up to $100, we will match. $87, we'll give you $87. $23, we'll give you $23. We're going to give you $100. We will match you up to $100 when you use the code PRESSBOX. Underdog not only has daily and season-long fantasy contests, but also prop bets and fun parlay games where you can win every week this season. You can bet on football. You can bet on basketball. You can bet on hockey. Whatever sport you want to bet on, you can do it. Just go to underdogfantasy.com or use the Underdog Fantasy app. Click on the Underdog logo. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. If you go to pressboxonline.com slash fantasy, you can click on the Underdog logo. You can deposit your $10 or your $100. Get your $10 or $100 free, and you can use the code pressbox at underdogfantasy.com and have fun winning money with Press Box and Underdog. We're com- coming close to closing the second hour here on the Battle Round. The Battle Round is brought to you by the Press Box Print Edition uh, with Brenda Freeze on the cover. Go ahead, Zach. The latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of Maryland, Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. 
and the first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. We're going to okay. yeah, get a break, um, but... I, th- I think that you only have a few weeks left to get this press box okay. edition of Brenda yeah. Freeze. I believe there's going to be another one coming out in December. So go get your hands on it now. You can find them at any kind of at any Royal Farms location, 500 locations all around the area. Uh, 500 different locations have press box, not 500 Royal Farms locations. So go get one now. We're going to catch a break here on the Bat Around. When we come back, we're going to close things out. That first sip. <sighs> that first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Once again this season, PressBox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune into Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash Radio. Pressbox's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Maryland, this is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you change lanes and brake suddenly in front of my tractor trailer, I won't be able to stop. Our lives could change forever. Trucks need room to stop. Don't cut it close. Brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation State Highway Administration. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. 
PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser Show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on PressBox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out PressBoxOnline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Tyus Bowser Show. The next Tyus Bowser Show is this Tuesday night, November 23rd at Alonzo's on Cold Spring Lane. It's brought to you by Window Depot Baltimore, WindowDepotBaltimore.com, and Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Duffy'sGarageMD.com, as well as PressBox and Grade 8's memorabilia. And the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, joins us courtesy of MyBookie. Dancing to the Glenn Clark, former Glenn Clark radio music. This is a bad around break three music, bro. Yeah, it this is. This is it's, the it's, bad it's, around it's, break it's, three it's music. It's ours now. I'm going to leave it up. I'm going to leave it up. Oh, it, it sounds so good. It, it's it's awesome. It's I do like the new song on Glenn Clark radio, um, but we, th- we, this is a classic. We should probably sell it to the Ravens. They can use it for their uh, for their introductions next year. Yeah, uh, but I think they like the Omar whistle. That's pretty good. That's they, pretty they good. Like hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about Glenn Clark Radio? There is a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as the Batarounds' own Paul Valley took over as the show's co-captain. The show remains the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR this week. The guys caught up with former Ravens coach Brian Billick, CBS play-by-play legend Jim Nance, and Braves pitching coach Rick Kranitz. Find those interviews and this this week's Tyus Bowser show with a special guest Chuck Clark in today in the Glenn Clark Radio Weekend Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. Let me just tell you, I freaking love Jim Nance. Yeah, oh I yeah, oh yeah, love. Oh yeah, Jim Nance. He is to me. He's in the upper echelon of broadcasters mm-hmm. all time. And can I tell you how upset I was? That I didn't get to sit in on that interview. Yeah, we we had to record that interview in the afternoon, I believe, on Wednesday, and. I just didn't have the time to to stick around for the. Mm-hmm. Glenn invited me to stick around for the interview because he knows how much I love Jim Nance, and I just, I, I couldn't make it work. Very upsetting. Hot take. Um, I, I, I we'll get to talk to him again. I, I know yeah. we'll get to talk to him again. Hopefully around the Masters time. That would be pretty freaking I, I, sweet. I love Jim Nance. I have a hot take though. Chris Collinsworth is my favorite broadcaster. I know a lot of people. You know, aren't big Chris Collinsworth? Here's I, a guy who rubs I, people the wrong way. I I think he's great. I always really enjoy listening to him. He's just he's very entertaining. But Jim Nance definitely at the top of that. He's so good. I've never seen a former Bengal champion the Steelers so much. Mm, okay, fair. A, a member of a team's <laughs> rival, of one of a team. Uh, he's a member of the Steelers of one of the Steelers rivals. And he champions them like they are like the second coming. I, like it blows my mind. I don't disagree. Oh man. Oh man. Anyway, here's a guy. I, he, <laughs> here's a guy sitting next to me who we might have to replace because yeah, he likes I, Chris Collins. He's just good. I don't know. Uh, my my hot take. A lot of people don't like Joe Buck. I like Joe. Buck. I like Joe Buck too. I like yeah. Joe Buck. Uh, what I will say is, I'd like a little bit more excitement. Yeah. Out of him, I think that that's where people like, like for example. When David Freeze, can you turn me up just a little bit? Sure. When David Freeze um, hit the walk-off home run in World Series Game 6 against the Texas Rangers. um, You remember that? Yes. Okay. Definitely. 
2011. He, yeah, when he hit that walk-off home run, the call was just, eh. It's kind of bland. Well, it, I remember when the Cubs won the World Series, he went, and the Cubs win the World Series. It was just like, not a lot of excitement. Yeah, like, yeah. I, like I, I want to see. But, but look, calling a game, Joe Buck, is he, he's very good. Mm-hmm. He, he keeps things professional. Incredibly articulate. And, and, and he is much more exciting in a football game. Oh, 100%. In, in, in a football, yes. in a baseball game, and I get it. Baseball's not as fast-paced as football, but I would like to see him on a big-time home run get a little more, a little more animated. Yeah, yeah. You know, then, and we'll see you tomorrow night. It's out of here. Something like that. That'd yeah. be a little more fun. Anyway. Yeah, like, Matt, like Matt Vasgersian, yeah. man. His home run calls are freaking yeah. epic. He, yeah. He's like a kid in the candy store when somebody <laughs> hits a home run, What's it, What's his famous uh, tagline? It's the, what, what, it's, he says something in Spanish. He says, um... Uh, what is it? I'm, I'm I don't know. All, all I can think of is Joe Angel. Adios, Senor Pelota. No, that's not that's not it. But um, um Santa oh, Maria. That's it. Santa Maria. That's what it is. Yeah, that's it, what it, it is. It, it, I, I'm a Matt Vasgersian guy. I like him too. He's I, great. I, I get the impression he's like really arrogant. Really? Yeah. I, I just just from watching him on high heat and hearing the way he calls games, I get the impression. That he kind of, and, and this is just, I don't know the guy. He could be the nicest guy in the world. But the way that he comes off to me is he's very arrogant. And like, like I've never you, met him. If you came up to him, he'd be dismissive of you. But I like all of his content. I like everything Matt Vesgersen does. Yeah, he's really good. I, really I'm, good. I'm literally reading a book by his cover by its cover when I when I give you my interpretation of who he is as a man. I, I, but he could be a very good man, very philanthropic, very giving to charities, and just a quality human being. And I have no idea. You know what I mean? It's maybe sure. I don't know. Maybe it's his voice. But he's as a broadcaster, he's freaking phenomenal. We got. I think we got Adele going now. So you called it earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we try to ignore it as much as possible. But it is. It is a bit distracting. We have. Um, it, it's kind of funny to me. Sometimes we, we, like right we've cr- kind of crossed wavelengths with a, with a radio station somewhere. Mm-hmm. You guys can't hear, but Zach and I in our <laughs> headphones in the background, we're hearing songs. Earlier, we heard Justin Bieber. We got Adele going on the, right the, now. The kid Leroy has it, been on like seven times, probably. I think they're just playing the same songs over and over. It's a. It's probably mix one hundred six five. It could be. It it's, could be. It's um. It's a it's a bit distracting. We are very close to all the radio stations and T- TV Hill where our studio is, so maybe that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. You, like I said, you guys can't hear it, but we can. Yeah. So Adele dropped a new album yesterday. I don't know if you're a fan. I think all of her songs are the same, and they they're. Uh, she's an incredible singer, mm-hmm. incredible singer, very very talented. Her songs are all about the same thing, and they all sound the same. I actually I, I like Adele. I think she's pretty good. But the, the new album, not a fan, yeah. not a fan at all. Did you yeah. pick, you picked it up? No, I just listened to it on Spotify, but I, I wasn't really a fan. Um, I feel the same way about Taylor Swift. Yeah, uh, I, although I don't think Taylor Swift is nearly as talented as Adele. no. I she's okay. I yeah. I could all, take all of her it. songs are about are about the same thing. Yeah, I I'd agree with you about I'd a guy that broke her heart. And somebody posted <laughs> well, the other day, and I thought it was hysterical. It's like, hey Taylor, what's the common denominator in all three hundred <laughs> songs that yeah. you have? You. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Any, anyway. Anyway. This is not the uh, this is not the pop around. This is the bat around. So. Yeah, the, the, not the, the pop music around. The, the pop around. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of which, Joe Paparato uh, had a birthday the other day. He well, that was a good I, that was a good tie-in right there. Wow. Yeah, I, I used to work with Joe over mm-hmm. at uh, the Mid Atlantic Sports Network when we both worked on those extra. He was on the production side. Of, we were both on the production side of things, but he had a better a bigger role than I did at the time. Uh, he's now the sports producer over at WBAL. Yep. Uh, took over for Chris Deshiel. He's a uh, 
Very talented guy. Very nice guy. Actually, lives very close to me, even though we he has he has a couple of kids now, so we haven't got, had a chance to hang out, even though we live right down the street from each other. But a happy belated birthday to Joe Paparato. I think it was his 34th, if I remember correctly. Happy birthday, buddy. I haven't seen you in a while, but I hope it was a good one. I hope you're doing well, and hopefully you're listening to the show. What, what a tie. That was that was all time. You know, I, was, I was talking about the pop around, and you go, happy birthday to Joe Paparato. <laughs> <laughs> just, just made me think of it. Couldn't have been more perfect. Anyway. Um, anyway. Hey, look, man. Um, this is a time of year and the time of the show where we talk a little bit about Ravens football. So you guys are going to have to indulge us here a little bit. But if you're listening to the bat around, chances are you're a you're a probably, Ravens fan probably a Ravens too. fan. Um, ugh. Ravens either didn't get off the plane or didn't get off the team bus in Miami. No. Cover zero, 19 times uh, oh. Lamar's blitz and cover zero. They couldn't do anything. The screen passes. We, we've been clamoring for screen passes. They throw them and they don't work. Um, Bad design. It's just, uh, it's just really, really poor design. Sa- Sammy Watkins had his worst uh. game as a Raven. He has uh, on the first drive. And honestly, if he catches that pass in the back of the end zone, that probably sets the tone for the game. I think the game goes sure. very differently. Yeah. However, gave up. He just gave up on it. Well, uh, uh, I think he gave up because I think he thought he was already in the back of the end zone mm. and was scared he was going to run into the po- in, yeah. into the post. That's what it looked like to me. And then when he saw where he was and where the, how the ball landed two feet in front of him in bounds, I think that he was like, are you freaking kidding me? And then he finally gets a catch. The, the Ravens ran two slants against that blitz. Mm-hmm. One was a first down to Rashad Bateman. One was a would have been first down to Sammy Watkins, but fumbled. he fumbled and it gets returned for a touchdown. Yep. And that's the difference in the game there. It's just a lack of, of being able to adapt in the time they needed to be adapting. It's simple as that. They yeah. just didn't make the changes that they needed to make. And I, frankly, I think they came in completely unprepared. Oh, completely they were, unprepared. And John Harbaugh alluded to that. He said it was on him and his yeah. coaching staff. They were not yeah. prepared for the game. Um, they didn't get to practice because it was only four days in between games. Right. It's just, uh, I was shocked because I'm watching them play in the first half, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "This isn't gonna last." Right. It's like they're gonna make the, the Ravens are a second half team. They're gonna make the adjustments. They're gonna come out. And I was thinking of it like I thought of the Colts game last year, sure. where the Ravens didn't play well in the first half, and then they came out in the second half. Lamar completed like ten straight passes. They blew their doors off the second half. Yep. That's what I expected. That's not what happened. I saw more of the same in the second half. They made no adjustments. They could not stop the blitz. Look. That was a bad game, but every time the Ravens lose, every time Lamar plays poorly, people say that they now have the blueprint. There is no blueprint. There the, the, is no blueprint. It's not a thing. You don't have the blueprint no. for Lamar Jackson. No. You don't. Because there isn't ever one. There yeah. will never be a blueprint. It's not how that's not how football works. Yeah. That's it, not that's such a that's such a um, naive statement for anyone to, to say that. Do you honestly believe that the team that has Lamar Jackson and has a coach like John Harbaugh? Do you honestly believe that they're gonna let what happened on Thursday night ever happen again? They may lose games like that, but do you think they're ever gonna let that happen again in the same fashion? I very I doubt seriously it. doubt that. And then you look at what's coming up this game, and it looks like Patrick McCarry is going to be back. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be at right tackle, and that's going to slide Tyree Phillips back over the left guard, which is where he should be anyway. Uh, Nick Boyle is going to be back. That's going to help the run game. Um, Latavius Murray is looking like he's going to be back, and he's the Ravens' best back when he's healthy. Um, I'm expecting this to be a much better— A lot of people think that this game is going to be close because Justin Fields is a dynamic athlete. He's as close to Lamar Jackson as you're going to get mm-hmm. you know, without being Lamar— He, he Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts are as close as you're going to get without being them. That being said, he's a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. Lamar doesn't lose to teams that are playing him for the first time, and he's 12-0 and against— um, 
He's 12-0 against teams he's playing for the first time in the NFC. Well, he's never lost in the NFC. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. So what we're looking at here is the Ravens coming off um, basically a mini-buy. They're pissed off because they lost the game in embarrassing fashion. Mm -hmm. They're going to go off on on Sunday. I'm telling you that right now. People are saying, I think this game is going to be close. I think it's going to be 26-21 Ravens, 27-24 Ravens. I'm telling you right now. I think the Ravens are going to put up close to a 40-burger in this game. And I think Lamar Jackson is going to be right at the forefront of it. I'm calling it right now my my bold prediction here. First drive of the game, Ravens are scoring a touchdown, and it's going to Rashad Bateman. What's your score prediction? Uh, Ravens 41, Bears 27. No, 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 no. no. All right. Ravens 41, Bears 24. So I'm not going to take the same optimistic approach you did. I do not think the Ravens are going to win this game. I actually think they are going to be, frankly, dominated in some areas. Um, I'm I'm personally scared of Justin Fields. He's getting really good. He's getting better every week. I think the Ravens are going to lose this game, 26-21. Okay. So I I think the Ravens are going to lose. I look. I I just haven't seen enough from them in the past few weeks to, to be confident at all. I'm just not, and I wish I was. I'm usually very optimistic about this team. Right now, you lost the Dolphins. You barely beat a three-win Viking team. It's just right now, I, I don't know what this team is. I don't know who they are, and I'm really nervous against Justin Fields. He looks Look, better and better every year, or every week, excuse me. He's still a rookie. Look, okay. he's, he's going to have some big plays tomorrow. There, there's no doubt. And, and, because, and you know why? Because every team has big plays against the Ravens. Yeah. All right, but the Ravens are one of the best teams to get... Uh, but Tua, who's a really bad quarterback, played that was, okay. That, that, that wasn't, he played okay. He did not. I thought he played pretty well. He made the throws where he needed to make them, and he, they, he won the game. They were seven yards down the field. That's uh, but that's how you beat the Ravens. Let's let's not let's not do that. The, Tua did not win that football game. Tua was mediocre, and people are <laughs> Greg uh, Roman won that football uh, game. To be fair. Uh, uh, Tua is mediocre. He played mediocre in that game. He didn't win the football game. He just didn't lose it. What won, well, that, what won that football game was the Ravens not making adjustments, the Miami Dolphins defense, which was fantastic, and a defensive touchdown. Tua didn't get that team into the end zone until the final three minutes of the freaking football game. My point is, my point is, is that Tua, as a bad quarterback, was able to beat them. So Justin Fields, as a way better quarterback, in my opinion, you don't, still can do that. You don't know that Tua is a bad quarterback. They haven't put him mm. in. All he did last year was win. All right, and they did not. They have not put him in position to be effective this year. And he's been hurt. But he makes him a better team when he's on the field. That being said, I do believe that Justin Fields has more talent and will end up being a better quarterback. That being said, if Justin Fields plays the way Tua did on Thursday night against the Ravens, the Bears are getting blown the freak out. I... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue it, but I. I don't necessarily agree. The Tua did not win that game. He just didn't lose it. Oh, well, I think. And there's, Gre- a, and there's a I, difference. I think. I think Greg Roman won that game for the Dolphins. To be yeah, fair, well. but I. I think that. Uh, my my point is here is that a bad quarterback, you know, with the help of his defense, can still easily find a way to to beat uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And I certainly don't think Justin Fields is a bad quarterback, even though he he'll probably make a rookie mistake or two. But I think Justin Fields is just significantly better than Tua. Oh. I just see it. it, it I, I see a significant difference there. Oh well, yeah, but I mean, Patrick Mahomes is significantly better. Sure. And the Ravens beat him, and Kirk Cousins is significantly better, and the Ravens beat him, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Carson Wentz is significantly better, and the Ravens beat him. The, 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 the point remains, as long as Lamar Jackson's back there and he's pissed off, mm-hmm. 
I, I, I can't bet against the Ravens in this game, especially Fair after I, I, the, the way that the Ravens lose a game to the Bears is that they take them lightly. Right, and I just don't see them taking any other opponents lightly the rest of the season after what happened on Thursday night football against the Dolphins. And on top of that, the Bears cannot get off the field on third down. They are terrible. Well, they're one of the worst teams in the league on on third down, and they don't have Khalil Mack. Mm-hmm. I look at this. Uh, no Akeem uh, Hicks either. Uh, uh, right, and what the Ravens are getting back on the offensive side of the ball for that offensive line in the tight end group, what they're going to get back from their running game, I, I think the Ravens are going to run for over 200 yards tomorrow. I really do. I, I for sure hope you're right. I, I I really do. I think that we're going to be having a conversation where I'm beating my chest and I'm I'm. I I'm, hope that's the case. And, and I'm and I'm buying not only a take to rake trophy, but a <laughs> I told you so trophy. Hey, and, look, and I will present to you every week when I'm right and you're wrong. I really hope that's the case. I really hope because I, I want to see the Ravens have a blowout win tomorrow. I'm just not confident in the team at the moment. But if they if they do blow out. The the the, uh, the Bears tomorrow. That's a great way to go into the gauntlet that they've got coming up after that. Yeah, a, a gauntlet that doesn't look as as daunting anymore. When you look at yeah, the the, the Steelers, even with Roethlisberger, aren't great. They're not that good. Uh, the Browns. Or, I mean, Baker Mayfield's a, a, a flick away from being dumb. For He's the year. injured in like every part of his body at yeah, the moment. The, he, so, uh, yeah. the fact that they're even putting out him out there, honestly, it, I think is irresponsible. It's kind of dangerous. It's, it really, it's very it really dangerous. is. What, what, what's happened to his shoulder? Mm-hmm. What happens? What's happened to his knee? They, he could suffer a career-ending injury based on the stuff that that he he you know has right now. It's yeah. just it's not it's, it's not really a, a it's, good decision. It's it's very dangerous. Um, but uh, Baker is the one who wants to play. He's the one who's who's yeah, is well, saying, well, "Hey, I want to be out there." Well, so then, hey, I, good for him. You want to say, but every athlete's like that. True. true. Every every athlete's yeah. like this. You you have to be the one the voice of reason when mm-hmm. you're a football team and say, "Hey, look, we need you for the long haul. Right. Maybe let's shut it down right now. Maybe this isn't our year." You know, right. you know, but but even more so, I think they have a Baker problem in Cleveland. I I I don't think that that organization is looking at him. In externally, they're going to say all the right things, right? Sure. But internally, I think they're thinking we can't give this guy a big contract. We we can't do it. I know, How could they? Have they picked up the fifth year option yet? I don't believe they have. I don't I don't think they have. Which is big at this yeah, point because yeah. usually, I mean, Lamar Jackson got his picked up pretty early last offseason, and I think all the other or most of the other guys that are are prevalent from that draft class did as well. So oh, L- Lamar Jackson is getting five hundred million dollars this offseason. Yeah, yeah. ba- Baker Mayfield, he may be looking for a new team. Uh, I, yeah, I, I I wouldn't be surprised. The Browns are too talented to be. What are they? Five and five. Yeah, I mean, they're, the, the Browns are very average this year, and they're also getting beat up a little bit. And Baker Mayfield, like you said, is, is really one bad hit away from being done for the year, and possibly longer. It's just, you have he has a shoulder injury, he has, I mean, a, he has probably five or six injuries he's dealing with right now, and, and some of them are more serious than others, but the guy is beat up, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens play that team in a few weeks. All right. Guys, thanks for indulging us for a Ravens and Browns and AFC North talk here. Special thanks to Stan the Fan, Charles Jack Harris from the LA Times, uh, beat writer for the Angels, beat writer for the Tigers for the Athletic, Cody Stavenhagen. Really great talking to all those guys. A really nice show for us here today. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you all next, actually not next week. We do not have a show next week. Uh, we will see you the following week. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Be safe, have fun, eat lots of turkey, uh, watch a lot of football. Until next time, see ya.